This is a more than just podcast production. So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 330 of the Morning Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have a couple of special guests today. We have Leo Dion in Lansing, Michigan. Hello, hello. And we have Evan Stone down in Sonoma County, California. Hello. All righty. Um, yeah, so we're just going to start off with a couple of fact check things. Uh, we were talking about uh, AstraZeneca shots um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I initially it was like, I think it was told 40, 45 days or something like that, but they've actually extended that out to 12 weeks. I guess they did the, the math and the science and whatever. Uh, that said, I have had my second shot since uh, since we last recorded, and, and I'm not quite at 12 weeks, but just about. That's cool. Jaime, do we have an ask at DJC? Oh, we actually do. I, I'm looking at the, when we actually had the last episode. I, I apologize. <laughs> Hold on one sec. Do, do, do. The, uh... I thought this was something we covered, but it, it couldn't be given when the last live Ooh, episode. Darren. Yeah, so Darren, show, Darren Baptiste, Baptiste asks, uh, all right, so D says, uh, when did Xcode's developer documentation become readable by mere mortals? For years, I would never wow. click search engine results pointing to developer at apple.com. Now I see discussion sections on each page that even I can understand. This makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, it was nice that they had the documentation that has the, the diff between the last version and the new version with the color-coded thing, you know, with the green for something that's new and purple for modified. They had that up right away this year, right after the, the keynote ended, essentially. Nice, right. yeah. 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 I think they had it up last year, too, right? I think you, it was your pick last year, too. I don't remember if they had it that quickly last year, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, and I found a video. Where I was talking about the Sosumi sound, which um, the story I had heard was that uh, the Beatles had made an arrangement with Apple Computer Incorporated, as they were known back then, not to get into music in any shape or form. And uh, Apple agreed. But then, of course, you know, music came along and became something that you did on a Mac. And the story I heard was that George Harrison walked into a studio once and saw a Mac there and went, hey, and got on the phone with his lawyers. But so I've got a, a YouTube video here of somebody talking, the actual guy who invented the sound and gave it the name. And uh, he was going to call it Let It Beep uh, as a sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, uh, moniker, but uh, he decided to call it Sosumi. And uh, if you ever wondered if, if it's onomatopoeia, it is. Sounds a little bit like an urban legend, but I guess we'll go with. We'll well, go I mean, this it. is the this is the horse's mouth here, right? Yeah. So this is the guy who who actually created the sound. He show he's he's the same guy that um, I think he shows the chord for the Mac startup sound as well in that that same clip. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, it's a good video. I, I watched it as well a, a little while ago and really enjoyed this because I always wondered where Sosumi came from, and I thought I always thought, oh, it must be some maybe obscure Japanese instrument or something like that. <laughs> and, it, and it turns out that's and, exactly what I and, thought and, too. And it just happened to be a phrase, you know, so sue me. And uh, it turns out that's exactly where it came from. So it, this this video is uh, fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like the story, too. So we were talking, too, about the reviewers um, last week uh, of the hardware, the last hardware announce, uh, announcement that came out. And um, we were curious as to whether or not they actually had um, the iMacs and what else did they, they release last time? Um, the new, M- I guess the M1s, right? Uh, 
when the last M1, M1 IMAX got announced? Do you remember what the other products were? iPad Pro and, yeah, what was, there was one other thing. Anyway, they, we weren't sure if they had uh, review products, but I was watching, uh, this is MKV, I think is his name. Um, they had equipment for review before they before the announcement. So And they kept really quiet about it, too, which is nice. Alrighty, because um, I mean, like the whole MagSafe thing, like that would have been all over the internet if people had a clue. Jaime, I mean, you got something here about uh, Apple Card? Yeah, so this was, uh, there's some kudos to Apple, and then there's some, some room for improvement, if we want to call it that, for the Apple Card UI. Um, so in the intervening weeks, I was uh, at a vendor booth at a uh, very moderately sized socially distanced festival kind of thing. And I was trying to purchase something. And uh, as I tend to do, I tend to Ooh. use my, my Apple card. In this case, they were using Square's uh, little reader on their uh, on their iPhone. They accidentally mischarged me, uh, which is maybe a, a stealth complaint about Square's UI because they showed me what had happened. And it was like very reasonably um, understandable problem because the Square UI, at least that I saw, when you input in the price, it's kind of more like a calculator. It doesn't have a read-only mode of like, okay, you know, mess with the digits and then, you know, say okay or yes, and then have a read-only view of, all right, this is the final thing we're going to charge. So this person's hands are a little bit large. And when they were showing me the price, their fingers were sort of barely touching the zeros and the ones. So they added this weird random number and it was a few thousand dollars. And let me tell you, I wow. was not buying a few thousand dollars <laughs> worth of product. <laughs> um, Apple Wallet, to its to its credit, gives me a notification of a, hey, it's just weird, suspicious activity, right? Which kind of makes sense. You suddenly nice. have several yeah. thousand dollars that show up at this location. Doesn't make any sense. Um, and I say, oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, they're like, oh, did you authorize? It's like, well, no, I didn't because I didn't think about the implications, right? That I should have known better. This is partially me. But it tells me, I'm like, oh, yeah, no. I was like, I clearly don't want the several thousand dollars to go through. I want the $30 to go through. That's what I was trying to buy. Unfortunately, what this does is it not only uh, declines that transaction, it also disabled or deactivated my physical card, which, really? which, is, which was oh. not you know known to me at all that it was going to do this. Right. So I was very unhappy about that. And thankfully, I had another credit card with me. I was able to use that and complete the transaction. I saw that the uh, the vendor had done the, um, uh, you know, the proper thing with backing out the charge sort of thing. And it was going to take a while to reconcile. And it did a few days later. But there at the festival, oh, my gosh. All right. Now I have to deal with this support thing. But thankfully, you can get customer support via iMessage through Apple's business chat. And it's right there in Wallet. So even though it took about 22 minutes from problem to resolution time, that was all asynchronous. I was still walking around, looking at other vendor booths, enjoying my time in general. So at least I didn't have to be on a phone call waiting for support and everything. So the crux of it is boo on Apple for for not letting you know that like if you declined the suspicious charge, they just automatically assume they should deactivate your physical card, which isn't bad in and of itself, right? Like I would prefer to have, you know, two separate actions. Okay, we're declining this transaction. Hey, user, would you also like to deactivate the physical card? Because maybe in most cases you, you know, left it at the beach or you left it at, you know, at the bar or some other place. I understand what they were trying to do. 
And if you're going to automatically deactivate, also let me reactivate it without having to go through customer support. It was such a hassle. And also yeah, a little bit of, of rocks thrown at Square's UI for like, what are you doing? Like, you should have an input mode and then a read-only mode that then goes through the charge part. So boo on Square on that one. It's funny. We don't have that problem with Apple Card in Canada. You don't, you know, but it sounds like like Mark <laughs> may have had some in the, <laughs> in I, the US of A. I had a horrible experience with just a regular bank ATM card years ago. Uh, I was on a weekend trip to Las Vegas uh, and very first day, Friday, go to an ATM machine in a casino, take out some cash and denied, shut down my card. Here I am in Las Vegas with no cash and and my ATM card doesn't work. This is follow up. We had this story. Oh, have I told you the story before? I'm sorry. No, it's it's okay. Mm, It's it's fine. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I I had the same thing. Like I've had my credit card a couple, I think one time before I was coming to the States uh, for a conference, my card got like, basically what happens is my bank, you know, if, if some Chinese hack or whatever just randomly uses my card to buy some stuff, usually you'll see small purchases and um we and, and it got flagged and and i was traveling the next day so i had to actually go to a physical branch and get a get a replacement card oh, no. but i had to go to a particular branch and i had to sit there for like an hour or so while they the like, guess printed it up and brought it over to me but um but and and but recently i just like a couple of months ago i had my card again same thing happened we have a we have a, an app on our our um our bank here that lets us gives us a, a notification on your watch when you've bought something and and um like similar to what you were saying i may and i noticed right away that it was it was wrong but uh, the bank had called me and said yeah we noticed this this, this and other suspicious charges so in my case i had to because of covid and all that kind of stuff it took like a week to get the card they actually did f- replace the card because i noticed a couple of automatic transa- transactions went through with the new number automatically right which was totally surprising but yeah i had to wait for the physical not that i u- used the card i'm surprised Tommy, that you were actually able to go out and to a venue or to a to visit booths and stuff like that is, is seattle opened up it's opened up uh some more that's that's true uh, so uh, vaccination rates are really high in at least in, in this area um don't know Washington State as a whole, but uh, it was also a, a a very strongly socially distanced and organized event where okay, they nice, yeah. they controlled the number of people who were in the area. So you know they had a little counter going up as people are going in, and counter going down as people leave. And it was a single flow through all of the booths. You couldn't like go backwards. They had markers where you would just sort of wait, and it was definitely not like a normal little you know vendor festival. But it gave us something to do to get the dog out, let them you know sniff the grass, look at other dogs, that sort of thing. And uh, so it, it it wasn't perfectly normal, but it was closer to normal than than just being cooped up in the house. Cool. And and fans of Spotcast will know that Seattle was ground zero for COVID in North America, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I've been complaining for a little while since since I got this new Mac about uh, a noisy audio, like like crackly audio. If I'm go to if I go to um, YouTube or something like that, and and I narrowed it down to the fact that the simulator was open. Um, you know, I'd been running Xcode, and and it it, it happened to me again this week. But uh, I had posted, and we were talking about the forums um, on our Slack channel, a new developer forums. And uh, my one post that I had there was I had responded to a message uh, that somebody else had posted about the same issue. And uh, the solution that's posted on the forum is, in fact, the correct one. It sounded a bit odd to me, but it sounded it sounded plausible. And uh, when I posted this in the notes a couple of days ago, I hadn't tried it yet. But it happened to me yesterday, so I had a chance to try it. Um, basically, open the activity monitor. Um, 
and then search for Core Audio D or Core Audio, Core Audio Demon and uh, double click it and then, then choose quit. I had to actually force quit it to get it to quit. And yeah, that's sure enough, that solved the problem. I was back up and running watching WWDC videos in no time. So that's, this is, uh, this is pretty amazing, cool. actually. I, I've been having this, and a lot of people I work with have been having this exact same problem with Zoom calls. Because we're on Zoom calls, by the way, Tim, video Zoom calls, I'll have you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're know. on Zoom calls all day long. And uh, often, you know, we'll be, you know, running the simulator in the background, or we used to at least, uh, until this started. We until we figured out that that was causing this this exact same problem. It was it was so wow. bad that it would the the audio would get will get just totally crackly and noisy, and you can't hear anything that anyone's saying, and you can't say anything because they they just hear this staticky noise. So it basically you just have to kill the call and get back on the call until we figured out it was actually the simulator as well. Once you kill the simulator, it goes away. I'll have to try this core audio day thing. Yeah, it's 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 funny. Like now that you say that I hadn't really thought about this, but we have we do the same thing. We have a lot of calls and mm-hmm. every now and then there's always one or two developers that are, that are really people can't understand what they're saying. And I, mm-hmm. I bet you mm-hmm. dollars to donuts they got the simulator running. Yeah. You know? Could be. Could be. Sure. I'm gonna have to try this out. This is a good tip. Yeah. I mean it, it only appeared on when I got twenty twenty Mac Pro thirteen. Um oh. that it that it showed up i mean but because but i have but there, if you go to this forum people are talking about it on older machines too right yeah so, mine's uh, i think mine's in 2019 pro well, i was coming from a 2013 so yeah. it's been a while since you know probably different sound chip and stuff like that yep. right yep. uh okay and then uh, yeah so and now i have i have one item in the follow-up here i just just saw this today um this is from cult of the mac cult of mac um that apparently and it's it's and the reason why it's in follow-up obvious for obvious reasons is um we haven't had a show in the last little while so we haven't been able to talk about the the supposed hardware being released at wwc rumors that were going around that i'm sure people have heard we can probably talk about them in a minute anyway but apparently some fans are upset because they sold their macbook pro m1s before wwc thinking that based on people like john prosser and stuff like that that uh apple would in fact release the the 16 inch and the 13-inch models everybody's been uh, waiting for. Hmm. And as we know now, they haven't, and uh, or they didn't. And um, yeah, so, so people were... And he was uh, joking on his Twitter about the fact that his... He has a 0% success rate for WWDC calls in terms of what predictions, I should say. So, yeah, then there were some people were like mad at him saying, you know, we did it because of you. And, you know, I'm sorry, your mileage will vary, right? Um, caveat emptor and all that kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was disappointed that they didn't announce them, but I didn't sell my, course, yeah. I didn't sell my uh, computer before the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was a, a Mac rumor article about how uh, in the YouTube tags for the video, uh, M1X and MacBook Pro were in the tags, uh, if you look at the YouTube video. So it's a possibility that it wasn't until the last minute they just decided that it wasn't ready. Or maybe um, the other thing I'm thinking is uh, with the recent chip shortages, they're hesitant to release anything new until they have the stockpile ready uh for the big demand that's going to happen so yeah i think i think i I have a feeling that rumors were kind of true but at the same time apple just had too much content and just was afraid of releasing a product they couldn't get delivered out to the numbers of customers that are going to want it that makes a lot of sense actually Yeah, yeah yeah Well, it's it's funny because we there is still a short. I don't know about you guys, but it's it is taking a while to get computers. I mean, Mark, you say you had to wait a week, almost. This told you two weeks, but you didn't quite wait that long, right? Oh, for my M one, no, it, it was it was a month. 
before I got it. A month. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And that that seems to be the the track record we were having. Like we were trying to buy computers for work as well and we're we're planning like well in advance and it's it's it normally takes a while for us anyway. Yeah, we finally got some in ourselves, but it took a while longer more more longer than usual. Yeah, and then you got to think, you know, we're not that long away from new new iPhones. Uh that's going to even be a bigger problem and I think they're probably right, worried right. about that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean there has been a worldwide pandemic, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, minor detail. Un, you know, unprecedented times, right? Alrighty, so uh, well, we're here to talk about um, WWDC uh, and hopefully the State of the Union co- talk as well. I don't know if we have points on that, but um, yeah. So Jaime, you posted this here. Do you want to do you want to lead us into the discussion on what was announced? Yeah, the first part that was talked about was uh, was iOS 15. Uh, I'll just walk very briefly through the items as bullet points. So they had FaceTime improvements, uh, notification summary improvements, something called live text, uh, wallet improvements, improvements to weather, maps, and some AirPod stuff. Did, did any of these topics catch uh, anybody's fancy well i mean facetime for one for me because we've been i've been struggling with my sisters uh and my mother who's in a retirement home we have a facetime call every week and uh i don't know we don't we don't know what um version of os ios they're running on at the at the home but they put an ipad in front of her and she seems to have a hard time following it and my sisters were saying that you know they were running ios 13 and 12 and whatever and FaceTime used to have this thing with floating heads that would just kind of like hover around on the screen and then the person who was talking with the face would get bigger and then, you know, it was kind of okay, but but for people who are, you know, uh, have accessibility uh, needs, um, I think having the, the faces all or the tiles like being in gallery mode all be the same size and just highlighting the one that's talking like Zoom does, right, I guess is basically the thing. Um, it uh, That's an improvement too. Um, the other thing that's really good for me uh, uh, that caught my eye, of course, is live text because the live text thing is uh, if you have a photo or you take a photo or you hold your camera up to uh, an image that has like a like the side of a van with a phone number on it or something like that, it'll actually take that text and do OCR on it, you know, optical characterization on the fly. And it even does data detection. Like if you if you scan and there's a, fo- a phone number there, you can tap the phone number and it'll dial the call, right? So that's kind of kind of amazing um, use of of uh, this kind of stuff. So I think that for me that was a cool thing. What do you guys think? I thought the spatial audio stuff was was pretty cool. Uh, it sounds yeah. like that's not just in FaceTime; that's spread out throughout iOS. But that could be pretty interesting. Oh, did they talk about it there? Okay, they, yeah. They talked yeah. about it in a few different places. Yeah. Uh, also, there's the one I don't remember exactly what they called it. Was it the the data channel or something like that, where you could where you could basically sh- you could share uh, you could share data over the FaceTime call in. in- Oh yeah, I, I like images and stuff, or send files. Yeah, files yeah. And, and images, and and even inside an app, I think you could you could link this into your app and then share data from your app to someone else using the app. If this is integrated into your app, cool. Yeah. I'll have to look that up exactly what that was. Yeah, I'm not running iOS 15. I'm I'm running iOS iPad OS 15, but I'm not running it on my phone yet. Um, but the weather app looks really cool. My wife's big into like those kind of charts and graphs and you know eight by tens with numbers and arrows on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, she's that kind of, you know, detail, right? So that, that's going to be a really cool app for her. I'm sure. I, I have to agree with you on that, Tim. Um, the, uh, that is funny because I didn't really think much of it, but that was the first thing that just 
popped out to me when I was kind of cruising through yeah. iOS 15 was the weather app. And it is astounding. I'm really, really happy with it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much more they do with it uh, you know, as time goes on. But um, it's it's fantastic. I, I think it's great. The other thing that uh, getting back to the FaceTime, for me, the the major thing that came out of that was SharePlay. And I think mm-hmm. um, that, it, it, I don't know, I think that's related to the thing that oh, Mark yeah, was yeah, talking yeah. about. Um, it may not be the exact same thing, but being able to, you know, sync up uh, video feeds um, and be able to watch, you know, watch a, a program together. Because we've tried to do this and, and it's been unsuccessful. Actually, my, my daughter's tried to do it and it, it, it usually falls back to some very lame implementation of screen sharing. Um, and then, uh, but the other thing too, is that uh, she's constantly on group calls and so I, she would love to be able to do this with her friends I think so uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how that works I haven't tested it yet haven't tried it and that live text wow that that really demos well yeah Jaime and I were joking about uh, uh, Spotcast we can sit down and watch Jonathan in Mississauga myself here I'm in Seattle we can do a FaceTime call and watch you know Justice League together and that kind of stuff right <laughs> Yeah, the watch party stuff, you know, I think Netflix watch party was a third party thing uh, to Netflix itself. And this case, you've got something that that Apple's baking into the platform that can let people do a a thing that is a a thing, right? Um, Even I think post pandemic, you'll still have like, uh, I really can't travel across town. It's like, all right, well, we can still watch this thing together. And like, as if we're still here. So, um, and, you know, having that API available for other things is is really cool. I'll say for, for FaceTime, um, there definitely is something about branding here. So I am glad to also see that this uh, is going to be uh, available. FaceTime, it is uh, available via FaceTime links for scheduling and for calling and stuff for Android and Windows devices. Because let me tell you, uh, one thing that I do with my folks, I'll take my my mother as an example. She always talks about how we are FaceTiming. And I can guarantee you, we are not FaceTiming because she has an Android phone. We're actually using (laughs) Facebook Messenger. But to her, it is is FaceTiming because the branding is so strong. Now, maybe in the future here with iOS 15, I actually could have a FaceTime call with her. And she just open it up in her browser and and use it as is. So that's, I think, great to make it simpler instead of like, hey, what do you have? Uh, Do you have Facebook? Do you have Line? Do you have WhatsApp? Kakao? Do you have Google Duo? There's just... Zoom, I guess, it, as more people start dealing with it for work and for, you know, for school and stuff is maybe going to become more of a thing, but it's a little bit less seamless to set up a Zoom call than it is to just use FaceTime. Yeah, I agree with you. I think like the big thing with me with FaceTime is being able to use it amongst a lot of people who don't have Apple devices and and just being able to pull up those links and use it in Windows PC or Android and still do FaceTime might not have all the bells and whistles, but it's uh, it's just nice to be able to share that ubiqu- ubiquitously. What's what's the word I'm looking for? It's yep. compatible Ubiquity, with everybody yeah. to use. So um, I think that's just going to increase exposure to FaceTime and, and what it can do. The other thing was the wallet. I mean, um, the idea of the idea of having we have already have payment cards in there, and I think in New York and San Francisco they have the transit cards in there, 
But adding things like the Disney Park Passes, um, keys for your house. Like, I have an August lock on my house, and it's home hit, home kit compatible, home kit compatible. So hopefully we'll be able to just wave the phone at the, at the house and open the door. Um, office passes for when we actually get back to working in offices. Um, hotel keys handed out this way as well. And uh, digital ID, like not having to carry around your driver's license and your insurance card and that kind of stuff. And the one that scares me is using it with the TSA at the airport as id right so you know handing somebody your phone (laughs) in a sort of semi-unlocked state i already do that with my boarding pass i don't don't actually hand it to a person i scan it i walk up and i scan the boarding pass uh, a couple of times usually once at the security gate and once at the actual gate to get onto the plane so if i could also have my wallet there and just show the person while they're checking that would be awesome because now there's always this juggling act you get your phone in one hand you got your license in the other hand you got your bag that you're carrying in your third hand, right? Uh, there's not <laughs> enough hands, right? So if I could, if I could get my 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 license onto my phone along with my boarding pass and have them both be there at the same time, I think that would be a huge win. And in a locked state, yeah. so you don't have to worry about them prying on your phone. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Or you don't necessarily even have to hand it to them if you could just show them, right? Just hold it up in front of them and they and they see it because they're just yeah. looking for a, they're looking at your picture and looking for your name, make sure they match. That's all they care about. So I don't know about you guys, but I went back to the to the the keynote and I watched uh, Craig Federighi um, catch the iPad and I slowed the video down and went frame by frame to try and see if if it was some sort of trick because um, he does kind of hand bring his hand down below the screen and then come back up as he's catching the iPad. So I think I think it may be some digital trickery there. Uh, as you know, like a, an intern is handing him the, the iPad on his below the camera line. Uh, so, what else did they announce, Jaime? Speaking of iPad OS, iPad OS 15, which my notes say uh, the high level points are widgets and app library, multitasking changes, changes to notes, changes to translation, and I think pretty big changes to Swift Playgrounds. Anybody have oh, yeah, any of those yeah. things they'd like to, to talk about? Well, we could talk about, I mean, so we've talked about the app library before on our phones and the fact that, you know, you have to swipe all the way to the right to get to it on the phone. Um, I am running uh, iPadOS on my on my uh, my iPad here, and the app library is is the very right-hand item in the dock. So, I mean, I can, I can very quickly uh, access things there. In fact, if I if I if I want to open the notes, I'm looking at it right now. Notes is something I opened recently. If I tap on the notes part, it'll actually go right to the note and open it. But so I mean, they made it much more convenient in terms of being able to get to the app library because um, I, I think it's something we all sort of were complaining about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the widgets on on the home screen, I'm not 100% sold on that because it used to be that they would be down the one side of the you know the left hand side of your iPad if you had it in landscape mode, but now they go across across the top and it took the it's funny it took the um the uh apple tv uh widget and and made it huge so huge that it ended up being on the second screen i ended up getting rid of it because it was just too too much real estate to give up um but again you know funny thing about that is having said that i have less icons on my home screen now uh even though we have all this extra real estate on the ipad but um yeah so it's it but yeah the app library definitely is is huge and and now i've just got the widgets on all the time so that's great pretty great for you guys 
I'm pretty excited about the new changes to multitasking. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. multitasking has always been good on the iPad, but always a little bit kludgy. Uh, and with this new navigation bar at the top where you can choose. Oh, they to, definitely fixed it for sure. Yeah, yeah, they helped that a lot. And the prominent mode, I think, is good too. So when you open up a new window, it doesn't have to be a split view window. It can be, it can open up in a, in a uh, basically kind of a form sheet looking thing. And then you can dock it into a into a window if you choose to. So that's pretty cool. I'm also pretty interested in this quick note. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, which is yeah. kind of cool. This is this was a thing where you can. They showed it with the Apple Pencil. It wasn't clear to me whether you could whether you need an Apple Pencil for this or, or could you do it with your finger. I don't know. But but in in what they showed you you drag you draw with your Apple Pencil from the bottom right corner and drag up diagonally, and it kind of pops mm. up a a note like from the Notes app uh, on top of whatever app you're looking at, and then you can write things in. Presumably you can drag it drop things in into the into the actual note and then kind of put it away and then later you can go back and look at it in in the actual notes app if you choose to this seems like so in terms of real-time follow-up i just tried it with my finger Mm -hmm. like if i swipe from the corner with my finger enough it just it kind of does the usual moving around like swipe gestures yeah Uh, but then when i grab my pencil definitely the pencil brings up a a little white uh box it opens up and as you move it into the screen it pops into a full-size note so definitely it is a pencil required thing thing. okay yep yep yeah but it's pretty cool. It works on the on the iPhone though too, right? It's not just iPad, or is it only iPad? Quick note. That I don't know. Just to quickly mention, maybe it's not working. But on the the actual iPad OS preview on on the Apple.com site, they do say that you should be able to swipe up from the corner using your finger or Apple Pencil. But mm. may, maybe it's just not working in that beta. Maybe it's my finger. <laughs> it doesn't like your finger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe it doesn't work in Canada, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not implemented in Canada. Right. <sighs> Sigh. Uh, all right. Can we talk about Xcode on the iPad now, Mark, since you brought it up? I didn't bring it it's up, really but uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. So uh, I can tell you, I, I immediately, you know, went and I was talking to somebody. I think I was talking to Isha on uh, on Twitter about it. Uh, we, were, we sort of did a whole sort of thing where we talked about all the fe- new features there. Um, and so while we were talking about it, I went and downloaded the iOS, iPad OS 15 onto my, my uh, iPad here, opened up Swift Playgrounds, and then found out that it's not available yet. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, but, oh my God, um, you know, I think we were, we were, had a watch party going here with the, the gang from, uh, friends of the show here and D who we talked about earlier. I mean, he like, as soon as he saw that, he said, I'm done. And just, you know, like, that's exactly what he's been looking for forever. Mm-hmm. He also owns a 12 inch, uh, 12.9 inch iPad. So I'm sure he's been looking forward to that. And the fact that you can actually ship uh, uh, an app from the the iPad. And just a, a side note here too: it, it it does it into that package format that Swift Playground uses, and so you can bring that package over to your to your um, your Mac, and you can open it up in Xcode and and tweak it as well. So it's not like a iPad only kind of deal, right? So, and I kind of wonder if that means you can make packaged uh, apps and bring them into the iPad for for finessing later as well, right? But um, on the uh, chat that they had today, they uh, the the actual developers were talking about it and they said that it's it's based on swift package Man- package manager uh, on spm okay cool and so yeah. it, it sounds like that is highly probable that it would be portable and uh, they also said that xcode can- is compatible with it so you can go back and forth but xcode is a superset so there's there's 
features and you know that Xcode supports. It's kind of like it's the, the the entry level, and then if you want to do more and you want to take it farther, that's when you jump over to Xcode and and really you know do work with SDKs and things that that uh, the the playgrounds version doesn't. So yeah, we were we were wondering about that about how dependencies would work, uh, and it it does make sense that it would be based on Swift Package Manager manager, but it sounds like CocoaPods probably is not going to be compatible. That's my guess, which yeah. is, which is a yeah. disappointment for a lot of people. Yeah, and here's the other caveat, which is that so they support uh, packages, you know, Swift SPM, but they it has to be publicly available, so that you can't oh. do authenticated packages. So we're getting pretty deep here, but uh, the, the it was yeah. it was good information to hear and, and i got a whole list of these kinds of like question answer kind of things from that discussion today um but that was that it was very interesting to see they're, they're really focusing on spm as the the mechanism to drive all this which is pretty cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome where was this discussion i actually want to go look that up oh uh, this was in the lounge oh okay the swift swift ui lounge on the wwdc slack was this in the dev tools oh. lounge uh, yes yeah gotcha so can can everybody see the conversations that go on there, or is there sort of like a live chat? Because I, I haven't really posted anything in the in the, uh, the Slack over there. But uh, can you can you sort of explain how how the the labs are working? Evan? Yeah, well, this isn't the the labs per se. The, I mean the the launch. Sure, there. sure. Um, and so it really it it took me a little while to figure this out <laughs> because you know I've been trying to work and also keep an, a pulse on what's happening in WWDC. Um, but uh, what was nice was that they they have a schedule. And so then you can see when they're going to do this. Um, I call it an ask me anything, but they, I don't know exactly what, I forget what the term is that they use for it, but they bring in a couple of the, the developers in this case, the ones from Swift playgrounds. And then they have, uh, you have an opportunity to ask questions and then they, they, they um, post the questions and then have the answers uh, embedded with them as Slack replies. So you'll, you'll see like the topic is listed as a, you know, the top level uh, item in Slack and then all of the, the answers and things are, are replies in there. So if you go to the DevTools lounge, um, I think that's the one where this was happening. Uh, there's also a Swift UI lounge as well, but in the DevTools one, they had this this talk. Uh, and, and so people were asking all these questions and it was all uh, basically all the ones that you would expect to have, have asked, like how do you go back and forth between Xcode and, and Playgrounds? And, um, and some things you could tell they couldn't really answer yet. You know, it was either unsupported or a features they weren't really going to get into. Um, so it was very kind of dodgy answers, but most of them were pretty straightforward. Uh, so like, you know, it, it they say that it ships with the, the Swift 5.5 compiler and includes structured con- concurrency and those kinds of things. So all of those things you kind of expect from the latest version of Xcode are kind of kind of in there in maybe a limited fashion. But um, the the lounge is uh, you know they have the they have events scheduled throughout the day and they'll they'll post it at the beginning of the day what the events are and then you get the opportunity to to sit in on these and participate so you can ask questions ahead of time and you can also do real time uh, interaction. As well, and they have some other things that are study halls that are kind of they seem more freeform. Like people are, it sounds seems like there's a little topic or something that they're they're working on, and people are posting their results on things that they're working on for the challenges and so forth. Yeah, like didn't they have a challenge in SwiftUI to build iOS six? Or iOS five in Swift UI. Yes, I saw that today. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They're, they're, as we record right now, uh, they're doing a trivia thing on the Dev Tools as well. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed the Swift Playgrounds thing. I, I, I had it marked here to, to, but I was so like I've been so burned out by so many, so much content. <laughs> 
as usual on on these kind of these kind of events, right? I was taking a break. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I kind of stumbled into it, and I think I kind of caught it after it was yeah. kind of done, basically. But uh, the nice thing is, it's it's all in there, so you can go back and read it. So I kind of I just went through and read the questions, and hmm, that's good good answers and things and. Um, you know, and you can do the Slack response, you know, or not the response, but the little emoji response to the, to the answers and things. So it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, again, like I said, I, I did see it. I did see the, the, that it was scheduled and I should have put it on the calendar or something like that, but man, it's like, I've been bouncing around. I see stuff on Twitter and, and, uh, somebody will post a, a comment about a video and I, so I I'm almost immediately run over there and watch part of it and see if it's something I'm interested in. So I've, you know, I've bookmarked all the ones that I want to watch and I've, and I've been watching tons more and I, I'm like, there's no way we're going to get caught up in a week. I just hope that this, this Slack channel is still around, uh, after the, after the conference is over so we can go back and go through it right yeah just be able to go over the records and see the answers to some of these questions yeah so here's a question for you mark what were the what were some of the previous macintosh operating system names here's some names are macintosh system software mac os mac os 10 and os 10 lisa os aux Sophisticated Operating System, and Mac, Macintosh OS, that's definitely a no. Classic Mac OS and XNU. So it's obviously number one, I think, right? Was there ever a Macintosh system software? Was it called that? Maybe maybe the very, very first one or something like that, right? Anyway, that's that's a, a question that's being asked live as we speak here. Maybe that's how they're... Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe maybe that's how they're re- referring to, like, System 7 and, you know, 7.5, etc. as Macintosh Yeah, system well, System software. software would have been what we would have called it back then. Yeah, I think so. Like System 7, System 6, you know, System 8. I think, uh, yeah, System 9 was even a name too, right? So... Here's another one. Which versions of uh, oh, I guess they, 10.0? They, they switched, didn't they? Yeah, when they got to 8 and 8.5, by that point, they had, it had changed. It became Mac OS. Yeah, to Mac OS, yeah, exactly. Became, so there's Mac OS yeah, 8, Mac yeah. OS 8.5, 8.6, and then 9. Yeah. Maybe they were anticipating the 10 coming along. Wait, that's <laughs> Mac OS? Wasn't I actually well, have the disc. Uh, I know what he's talking about. It's a red disc, and it actually says Mac OS on it for for, for version 8. Yeah. Okay. No, that's true. That's true. Good, good call. Hmm. Good times. All righty. Um, yeah. Uh, so where are we? I mean, what's going on? Sounds like we may have missed, uh, what is it, maps and uh, AirPods? Maybe maybe weather? Oh, also, did you talk about all those you know, cool um, things? I did play with the spatial audio. I have Beats Pro 3, which... which uh, Beats, what are they called? Power Beats? Power Beats 3. Um, they work with the spatial audio, and I found that Apple actually has, and I'll put a link in the show notes, a, a playlist on Apple Music of spatial audio. Um, things like, you know, Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles, a couple of Tom Petty songs, um, you know, uh, Doors, Riders on the Storm done in spatial audio, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, so check it out if you've got uh, got some decent here. You can as apparently it works with with any headphones, but primarily it's designed for for the Apple hardware, right? And you you said you tried this out, Tim? Yeah, on my PowerBeats on with my my iPad's running running. Um, actually, I think fourteen point six supports it as well. Um, yeah, there's a, a, some Taylor Swift songs on there, but yeah, it's it's it actually sounds pretty cool. I mean, you know. I don't know. I'm sure Mark's like this. He's probably heard like gazillion versions of the same album uh, over years. Um, but yeah, the spatial audio. It, it after a while, it just sounds like any like the song if you know the song really well. But it's kind of he kind of cool. You know, the, the Riders of the Storm has that whole thunderstorm going on uh, as the song uh-huh. starts up, and you get the you know keyboard on one side and the bass bass notes on the other side, and then you you know the drummer tapping away, and and it it it, it does sort of feel like a decent like you're listening to a really good. Stuff. Stereo, right back in the day 
from that point of view. So, so uh, how do they do this? Is it, do you, I mean, do, I don't know if they talked about it. Is it an algorithmic thing or, or are, is it? Recording? No, no, it's an actual mix. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a mix. Yeah. The, that was the, my next It's done in the studio. There is, there is a way, I, I was reading something on Twitter earlier today. You can actually go in and, and, and kind of play it, but, but these are actual tracks that are designed to be kind of like, you know, the drummers over on the left-hand side and the, you know, guitarist is on the right and whatever, like, like a Here Comes the Sun one is kind of interesting because you get the guitar and then, you know, Ringo's way over on the one side and that kind of stuff, right? So uh, it, you definitely can sort of get a sense of that they're, the people are in different places in the room, right? I was trying to remember too, do, do you remember, Jaime, if the, if the OG HomePod supports spatial audio? I actually don't don't recall because I think the new minis do, right? Yeah, they kept talking about they, the, the new minis for a lot of stuff, and I've seen at least some speculation, but not confirmation that perhaps the OG HomePods will maybe miss out on some of the newer features. Like, yeah, can't remember if they're going to support lossless audio or not, but um, some of the newer stuff for the keynote, I, I think they might miss out on because of the is it A8X processor they have. I'm really digging deep in the in the memory to remember what sort of processor it has in there. All right, well, should we move on to privacy then, Jaime? Sure. So they made a, a whole section just on privacy, and they talked about a few different things um, that I had noted here. They they talked about uh, mail privacy protection. So it'll hide your IP address, hide your location, hides if you open emails, gives you the option of having these fake throwaway emails, which are great for when you want to just download the dang PDF <laughs> that, that is being hidden behind the, you now give us your, your email for marketing reasons problem. They updated Safari to also hide your IP address and provide a, an app a privacy report. Uh, they talked about Siri and having um, more and more of its activities done on device for privacy and as a nice side effect for speed because it's not doing round trips to uh, to the interwebs. Thoughts, concerns? I th- I love the whole hide my I- my email address, hide my IP. Um, I noticed in Safari that the Safari settings here are already set to hide my IP address, which is nice. You know, I noticed today. Um... That I installed Monterey and it already had the private relay set up for my Wi-Fi connection. Oh, wow. Cool. So it was already hiding my IP address um, via my Wi-Fi connection. Cool. I was just thinking uh, uh, with regard to the mail you know, privacy, with hiding your email uh, address, that, um, you know, it's... It, Definitely reminded me of the way that uh, uh, sign in with um, sign in with Apple. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I even implemented that in an app, and I can't remember what the name is. Um, but uh, how how that works, where you can choose to reveal your actual email address versus uh, you know the, the obfuscated one, and uh, so that it it seemed like what well, they they had taken that that concept or whatever and just made it more general so it's not only for signing with apple but now you can use it in other places and use an obfuscated uh email to protect your privacy and i I think that's a really great idea so how is that going to work if like like for instance i have my own domain is that does that mean it's going to be able to hide that stuff or is you're talking about the dot mac dot me stuff what do you think as i understand it uh isn't it that you can use Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gathering my thoughts here. I, yeah, I think it creates a there. random token for each. <laughs> it creates a random token for each each um, site that it goes to. I think, right, or each developer. But you because can. They did say you, you can could, bring your own yeah. domain. I do know that. Now, how how does that work? Do you have to buy the domain from Apple, or Apple owns the domain, or you have to set up some DNS thing? I I have no idea yet. As far as that's concerned, right? Yeah. Hmm. Have you noticed anything else with with um, the cheese OS, as people are calling it? Um, <laughs> 
uh, anything anything else about uh, improvements or well, we're kind of skipping ahead, I guess, right? Yeah, we haven't we haven't quite gotten there for going in the order of the uh, of the keynote because the next thing they rolled into that uh, may have been under the privacy aspect. It's I separated it out because it's certainly a topic. So iCloud has an an iCloud Plus as they plusify all the things, which includes uh, account recovery for uh, being able to have trusted folks re uh, re provide you access with like oh i forgot, forgot my password i got locked out of my account okay uh maybe my grandma can help verify who i am yeah more likely the other way around right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but like because this is a thing that i think you know certainly folks who listen to this show um know about this but the the average person on the street doesn't understand like hey why can't apple give me access it's their own device what do you mean they don't have it's like well because they specifically di- designed it to be so secure and protect your privacy that like they themselves can't get into it right so that's not a great answer We're like oh I've, I've lost all these photos i've lost all this data i think this is a nice practical uh pragmatic workaround is it is it for everybody no do you have to make sure that you absolutely absolutely trust whoever this person or persons uh, is or are yes of course but it's better than forever losing access to your your data yeah for sure yeah i do have private relay under iCloud plus on my notes here um that what uh, leo was just talking about with the traffic encrypted as it leaves your device right right yeah yeah so so kind of in between that they talked about digital legacy so this is the the other half of that if you know what happens if somebody dies you can have the uh, the access to that in the uh, the immemorium kind of mode and they rolled right into the the paid subscription for iCloud plus uh which is not like its own separate thing and that was the confusing thing about the naming it is apparently at the same pricing tiers and everything you're going to end up getting in addition private relay for uh, it's not really a VPN, but it does provide you with, uh, you know, some security there that it's harder for, for folks to track you for what you're doing on the Internet, uh, hiding your email and uh, HomeKit secure video support are the things that I took note right, of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I currently have a Nest camera on, my, on the front of my house, and, and that's a Google product, right? So um, I, I trust that Google is encrypting the video on my my, uh, my feed, but who knows, right? Um, I feel more confident knowing Apple would be doing it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. All right. And speaking of health, I mean... Yeah, health is, is one of those ones that kind of rolls into watchOS 8 as well. There's sort of a nice little seamless transition. Uh, they, they talked about uh, reflecting on, on you know things that you enjoy in, in the mindfulness app, uh, additions to the to sleep app around having respiratory rate tracked, uh, new workout types uh, related into to watchOS uh, 8, like the Tai Chi workout, the Pilates workout, Apple Fitness. Those are part of Fitness Plus though, right? Well, I... <laughs> I was unclear on that. Uh, I did write right after the Apple Fitness Plus that you know new series of workouts with somebody who's apparently famous, but not to me because I'm a couch potato, yeah, Jeanette yeah. Jenkins. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, before we go into watchOS itself, anything that, that, that caught anybody's uh, attention on uh, the health-related stuff? Well, what, did they talk about the walk steadiness? Was that part of watch or was that part of health? It was part of health because yeah. you could do... They, they showed a person wearing an iPhone 
uh, or having an yeah, iPhone okay. in his pocket. Right. So, in yeah. his pocket, yeah. That that I think is like you know, as as an older person myself, and having having looked after older parents um, who fall down, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, the, I think the the preemptive notification that hey, your gait is changing. Um, that having said that, too, my older dog, you know, had a back problem last week, and we had a hard time diagnosing it. Um, if he had his iPhone in his pocket, it probably would have helped him. But um, the the idea that the motion sensor measures your gait as you walk and, and kind of gives you insights on that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine at work. Um, he had an iPhone 4, uh, the one with the with the heart monitoring stuff, and he actually did get a notification from the watch to tell him to go to the to the emergency because he had, um, the, what's that, tribulation? Tribular fibrillation, whatever it's called, Atri- atrial fibrillation, like odd, odd uh, yeah. heart beating. He actually got you know a notif- notification. I think that's from from Apple helping out people by by sort of being preemptive with the you know with the computer with the core core ML kind of stuff or the machine learning. Um, you know, keeping track of us as we get older definitely is is something that's really kind of cool, right? So, what do you think? Yeah, I think adding a whole bunch of this stuff is is really great. Um, my significant other and I were talking about the um, the utility of the uh, the the walking gait analysis, and I said, "Well, true, like you know, if you're Michael J. Fox, like you already know the answer, right? Like just to use a really absurd example of like, is already has." the the disability and this is like not helpful but isn't it helpful for folks who are you know unaware that they're heading toward that right you know if you if you have a a slow decline i would prefer to get alerted like hey something might be up so at least i can and not fall seemingly at random because it just happened to get over the line of what was going on there so i you know for for something that's not uh uh, charged for it's not like a, a uh, you know, a plus subscription or something. I think it's great that they're adding it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I do also have the health sharing thing. I think we we kind of touched on that. The idea that that um, you can keep your health records. Um, my current doctor lab people don't necessarily tie into the health kit stuff, but uh, and I know a few developers are working on it. Um, what do you guys do? You guys have you guys been able to take advantage of any sort of health tracking um with your medical records in your in your different parts of the country um yeah recently i i had to figure out how to do it it was not easy i had to like email somebody on their it team and then i got health kit access to my records (laughs) so not the easiest situation but yeah now every time there's like a new test that i do uh, it's, it shows up in my health records on my phone. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I manually have to put my blood pressure and stuff in there <laughs> when I get it done. Yeah. Like an animal. Um, <laughs> it's healthcare IT is probably one of the messiest things to, to, to deal with. So it's, it's a welcome yeah. thing for Apple to, to come in and kind of kick people in the butt a little bit <laughs> in that area so we can get moving and make it a lot easier yeah, for folks. Okay. For sure. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And if you know enough of people ask for it, then they see that the, the demand is there. Then maybe maybe they'll uh, open it up a little bit. I don't I don't know if my healthcare uh, provider uh, supports this. I th- I was on a call the other day, actually with Tim, and um, 
and and it was suggested that it, it possibly did. So I I'm, I, I want to follow up with that because I'd really like to have my my test results uh, appear in in the health app. Uh, the other thing too is with the sharing with regard to being able to share it your records with your family and vice versa. Like you can keep track of your maybe your parents' health or your 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 children. Um, I think that's pretty valuable also being able to keep tabs on them so you don't necessarily have to keep asking them or you don't have to uh necessarily talk to the doctor or or whatever but um just being able to have kind of free access to that would be really helpful yeah for sure all right how many what's next after going through watch os 8 they transitioned to talk about the home so reinforcing the idea of home did we talk about did we talk about all the watch oh yeah we did well okay. uh, technically no but uh, portraits watch faces and uh, messages being easier to deal with and multiple timers uh right <laughs> i mean uh, i feel like the health stuff was sort of the 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 bigger ticket items for for watch os 8 um and maybe they're also holding off for stuff for you know new devices of like hey here's what the new watch can do and we've also added this right. the, the new uh, new new apple watch max or whatever. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> one, uh, one thing that i thought was, was surprising about the watch os 8 uh presentation was that where they said that the the photos um watch face was the most popular i don't know yeah i, I was surprised uh, by that too yeah, I, I thought, I mean, obviously it dovetailed, dovetailed nicely into the feature that they were talking about. So maybe that's why they they said that. But it was, um, it, I thought it was interesting because I, I don't use the, the photos. I, I like, no. I use the, the, the dense packed infograph one. But yep, uh, same here. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, I thought that was kind of an interesting data point from that that came out. Yeah. Like on my phone, I have a photo in the background, but I would never do that on my watch. It's so small. Like I want to see stuff when I turn my wrist, like as much as I love my kids, but like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I was surprised by that as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's funny when they show the video on the screen, it looks like a huge display, but in reality it's not. I mean, I was telling my wife about the fact that, that cause she would love to have her grandkids on there and that kind of stuff. And she's, she looked at me and said, on my watch, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could, I have a barcode. I added a barcode for, or a QR code, I should say, uh, for uh, my, my, my home Wi-Fi, so that I could share, you know, people come over and they can just jump on my guest network. I finally got around to making one of those with the shortcut. I think they mentioned it somewhere. Somebody, somebody mentioned it. Um, and I made a shortcut of my Wi-Fi uh, and posted it on the fridge. But uh, so if you're coming to my house, just break in and get on the internet. Um, you'll be fine. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's something I would use on, on the, the watch, like in the same sense, like, you know, when I go to Starbucks or whatever, I'll, I'll bring up the little barcode and scan it to pay for my coffee and that kind of thing. Or like Mark was saying with his boarding pass. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I could, I, I don't know that I would necessarily go to the watch to look at photos as I probably would have my phone pretty close by. Right. You know, it would be kind of interesting is to have a QR code on the face of your watch that could be like a scannable business card, right? If you wanted to give your contact info to someone, you just show them your watch with the QR code, they scan it. Well, that said, Mark, um, I think my pick from a couple of years ago was a developer I met in the line at at, uh, WWDC uh, waiting for the keynote who had an app called, I think it's called, let me just try QR code here, search for QR, nope, QR, can't type. Um, but yeah, I have an actual app on here that yeah, it basically makes QR codes for all the different things. So I have like one for the podcast. It, so if I just you know scan the scan the QR code and get taken over to our website. But yeah, that is kind of cool. Scannable business card wise, Mark. Yeah. 
So technical glitch here. Um, I'm having a problem with my machine. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive here. Uh, <laughs> so this is the second time it's happened now since upgrading to Big Sur 10.4. Yeah. 11.4, I mean. And so maybe this is uh, maybe this is a, a good note for the for the podcast, actually. So it's a it's a bizarre thing. So my machine is essentially frozen. I can move my mouse so that the cursor moves around, but I can't click on anything. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm still on the Zoom call, so I can hear audio. You can hear me, but I can't do anything on my machine. The keyboard. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Now I can move my keyboard. You know, but... I've had that happen on my, my work machine for sure, but that's like, it's not the fixer, yeah. it's Mojave. But yeah, the same sort of thing. It just nothing. In, and then a whole bunch of tasks, tie, you're tapping on things and whatever. And then. Yeah, then. Okay, so I can actually, uh, my, my keyboard actually works. That's interesting, but the mouse just doesn't click anymore. Maybe it's just a Is problem. it a Wi Fi mouse or Bluetooth mouse? Bluetooth mouse, but it's the cursor's moving, it's just not clicking. Oh, okay. Try plugging in a mouse. Maybe this is, maybe it's not Big Sur. Maybe it's just. Maybe you're holding it wrong. Yeah. Oh, crap. I can't. <laughs> I can't plug in a mouse. I don't have enough ports. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, I can, I, I can. I can. I have a dongle for that. <laughs> wow. Anyway, don't mind me. Continue. Yeah, we'll continue. Yeah. So uh, we're on. We on home kit. I mean, where are we? We're on home uh, as a as a topic. So they they did talk about the home keys to uh, unlock your door. Uh, asking the HomePod Mini to play something on your Apple TV, uh, the the new for all of you row in Apple TV, the you know I guess the the, the family friendly category, uh, using your Mini again. They mentioned the Mini and not the OG HomePod as as speakers for your Apple TV. Lossless music, which isn't necessarily new here, but um, you know they they, they added for completeness. Uh, Siri on HomeKit devices and accessories uh, without going through third parties. Apparently, it goes through through the HomePod. Uh, they did mention Matter, which is the industry consortium for compatibility, which we have mentioned related to uh, having devices be compatible with the Amazon Echo, the Google Home, and Siri, uh, an improved Home app in general, and now the addition of the Home app on the Apple Watch. And for video, I think they said package detection, so you could you could be alerted when somebody has, has delivered something to your door. I was surprised by the Siri on third-party devices. Um, that's well. It sounds like it's just the audio access, and then you need to still have a HomePod as a hub to decipher the audio. But that's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah. And the other thing, well, the other thing is SharePlay Sync on FaceTime. Does that mean we're going to be able to have sort of FaceTimey kind of stuff happening on the Apple TV? Do you think through like an attachment of some sort? Yeah, that's what no, I was well, because you would be missing the video, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean your own video. Well, well I mean, obviously, it depends what you meant, though. I think, I think maybe, maybe. Well, I mean, because if you're watching TV, if you're watching a show together with with SharePlay, right? Obviously, you want to watch it on the biggest screen you got, right? If you can. Um, so maybe there's a way of maybe that's how that works. By the way, I my HomePod is hooked up to my Apple TV now as my speaker. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe does the Mini not do that now? I wonder. Nobody has a HomePod Mini here, right? I have a HomePod Mini, but it's not hooked up to my Apple TV. Right. Mm. After seeing that demo, though. I was thinking, hmm, maybe I should, uh, I, I have one and I was thinking maybe I should just try hooking, hooking it up and, and maybe getting another one just to see how that, that experience is. You already have it hooked, so hooked here, up that way. Yeah, I have. A, I have an OG, an OG one, a mm. big one. Um, by the way, just a pro tip for those of you who who struggle with this. It took me a while to figure it out too, because I kept having to go back into the settings on the TV to tell it to play out of the HomePod as as an alternative speaker. But if you put the HomePod and the 
the Apple TV in the same room. I'm doing air quotes here. Like like mine is called family room, right? Uh, so my my air, Apple TV was in, in family room, but my HomePod was in basement, and they're not in the same technically room. But once I move the HomePod in, in the settings to uh, the family room, all of a sudden the Apple TV and the HomePod are are best buddies, like long lost friends. And uh, so now now whenever I watch anything like the WWDC videos on the Apple TV, I get the nice booming bass. Out of the out of the home pod. So pro tip, same room. Nice. Okay, so that's that's a room within like in the home app, the, the home kit concept of a home the, and then the name room. of the room. Got yeah, it. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they are physically in the same Exactly, room. right. But it doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It should, yeah. but it doesn't. Well, yeah, so maybe someday you would think. Well, they they need that what W what was that chip again? The U two chip? I mean that U one. You won? Okay, you won. Yeah. You choose the band. Okay, you choose the free yeah. music. Yeah. iPhone 11 and up. You two was the free music we got. I have it. Oh, Intercom from Watch. That that was that was under HomeKit too, right? Oh, so, yeah. So here's a funny thing. So we have we have um, HomePods all through our house. So we have one in the kitchen. We have one in the... Uh, in the the bedroom where my granddaughter has her sleepovers and then we have one in the basement here and i made the mistake of teaching my granddaughter rather than yelling for grandma every five minutes she just goes siri followed by the word intercom and then she says her message and it relays throughout the entire house <laughs> nice which is funny so that's a good question when it does intercom it it, it answers on all of the home pods in the house yeah, they all they oh, all wow. announce whatever, and it, they record the the person's voice and then enunciate it throughout the house in in that person's voice, and then you can go Siri followed by the word intercom and reply. Right? That's interesting. If, if I said it now, it would, I have a I have a HomePod just over there. I'm just trying not to, to trigger it, and also try not to trigger the ones on people's calls <laughs> listening to the show. Hey, Fawad, how's it going? Um, all right. But that's that's cool that that's that's coming to the watch, right? Because uh, I don't know if you can do that on your phone. Hmm. Interesting. I've yeah, tried it, but we definitely do it on the HomePods. Yeah, we do it on the HomePods. But on the on the watch would be great. Yeah. So I think we we come to the Mac now, Jaime. Is that true? Or I think we do. So uh, the, the the cheese OS is as you alluded to earlier. Um, Mac OS Monterey Jack. Yep. <laughs> Mac OS Monterey, which according to the Googles, Monterey is a city on California's rugged central coast. Its Cannery Row, one time center of the sardine packing industry, was immortalized by novelist John Steinbeck of of mice wow. and men fame. And they also have a nice aquarium there. Apparently, I've been there a couple of times. I've been there too. Very nice. We were there recently in Monterey. Yeah, one of our favorite places to go. Besides the name, I think the furthest furthest south I've been in California is Monterey. That true? You've never been to L.A.? No, I've never been to no. L.A. Nope. Wow. Never had a never had a reason yeah. to go. Um. So yeah, just looking back at the, at the Slack here, the, uh, Evan, you mo- you mentioned notifications and focus. Oh, that's true. We, we didn't really talk about the the improvements to notifications um, in iOS and the the focus modes. Oh yes, right. Yeah, I, I threw that in there because I, I thought those those are pretty significant features that that we hadn't really touched on yet. So touch on. Oh, touch on. <laughs> <laughs> Hyman was going to take it. Um, the uh, uh, yeah. So we there's uh, the focus is has these these modes that you can you can put your your device into that will um, customize and re- sort of reduce the the amount of distraction that you have. Um, I don't know all of the de- details on it, but it, it sounds like a really cool concept. Yeah, given the amount of notifications I get in the day, I mean, my biggest complaint is the Microsoft notifications from Teams and from Outlook. They seem to be 
they disrespect any settings you have for do not disturb and that kind of stuff. They just they just plow right through. And I think, but that said, I mean, like you know, I do use the VIP uh, email notifications for certain people that I really want to know about when they email me. Um, and yeah, so I think to have to have you know, I don't care if like the Apple News pops up every day at five p.m. and and uh, a few other things like that, and and um, you know, I'm still head down working on stuff. And um, anytime, like we we our uh, home kit tells us every time the door opens and closes, um, and anytime it rec- our, our Nest camera recognizes somebody walking down the street or your, a dog goes by it triggers our, our uh, notifications. And it's funny, you're talking about the package thing, Jaime, just as a side note here. Anytime we go onto the front porch and we put something down and pick it back up again, it'll say a package was delivered, a package a package was picked up, and which is good. I mean, if you had porch pirates, you'd obviously want to know, but... Um, so it literally uh, is telling you just, when your package was picked up. Yeah, picked like, up like off the ground, if and you, put if it back you, down. Yeah, if, yeah. yeah, like it, yeah, I guess it looks at the body movement or somebody, yeah. and and the fact that there was something there now it's not there. As opposed and, to the delivery service picked up. Never, never right, up right, yeah, yeah. Being able to to pick and choose which which notifications you get and which ones you ignore, especially like while you're working. I think for me that yeah, based on time of day, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. The, the 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 biggest irritation is like you were saying i we have an arlo you know doorbell thing and and it and it's constantly letting me know like you were saying about you know anybody anytime anybody walks by or a car drives by and there's or or if the tree moves a little bit too much outside <laughs> it's like oh, i don't need to know about that so you know um, it, it would be nice to be able to filter that out during certain windows in the day so it sounds like that's what they're they're really going for here yeah, I did. I did. I was able to go in. There's an interface in in the Nest camera where you can actually go and draw like the front lawn because I don't like we're it's it's literally seven feet to the front of my or fourteen feet. It's very close to the front of my house, like the the sidewalk. And and I live on a busy street, and there's lots of people walking their dogs. And I don't want to know every time a dog goes by, you know, or or bike courier delivering food. Um, and why they're on the sidewalk is a good question, but um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've put a region in here. It seems to be much much better since I did that, um, and it actually also recognizes faces, which is kind of cool. Like you know, uh, like it says, you know, we think we recognize, you know, and they'll have my wife's name on the on the notification saying her coming and going or whatever, right? So, which is which is cool. But uh, yeah, what is next, Jaime? Monterey. We're talking about Monterey. Yeah. So uh, in a very hand wavy way, the my my cheeky comment to you, Tim, was like, you know, all that stuff we just spent the last hour and a half talking about that's on Mac too, <laughs> right? Just so for completeness <laughs> purposes. And then they talked about things that were that were unique to it, right? So universal control looks really cool to mm-hmm. to use single mouse and keyboard drag seamlessly across mac and iPad. well that was like magic i mean I, I, I was i had my head down on something else but i mean people were just dropping their their jaws when that went by right the fact that you could actually just move from one device to the other right kind of like a kvm is what i immediately thought of but no video exactly yeah, yeah. that was a fantastic demo Dragging and dropping files because I mean it sort of makes sense as logical yeah, extensions cool. of AirDrop and and continuity and handoff. That's really cool. Uh, AirPlay to Mac, which I was scratching my head. You know, they said, "Really? I thought it did." I, I, if you had asked me, <laughs> if you had asked me like two minutes before, I'd be like, "Yeah, of course you can AirPlay to Mac." Oh no, yeah, I guess you can't. It's like the one device that you, you, uh, you can't have as a, as a target, which is uh, which is weird. I think I have a third party extension that lets me AirPlay to my Mac because I, mm-hmm. I occasionally see the icon up there. 
Yeah, there, there, there have been like yeah, air, parrot reflector and a few other ones that are, are escaping my memory. So there was third party solutions. Mm. Now there's something that is um, uh, that is native to the Mac. And uh, uh, moving along here, we've got shortcuts on Mac, including support for automator tasks. Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm. Yeah, I thought they were going to bring back AppleScript for a minute too, right? But Automator is pretty cool. Yeah, this looks like definitely like I, I sort of felt like Automator and AppleScript have been uh, like overlooked over the last few years, and you sort of feel like they're going to bring shortcuts at some point. So I'm really happy to see this now. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, uh, I actually have a couple of uh, Automator scripts that I've written over the years. It, it's kind of it's not uh, the the problem with Automator and AppleScript is is as Mac OS has come out, certain calls in them get deprecated, right? So they don't work yep. anymore. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like not really talked about much. Um, but yeah, I, I like I have a file name renamer that I wrote because I, I get a file every week from a customer and every week it's not ready for web. So I just drag it onto the automator and it renames it. And uh, that's a super simple thing to, thing to write. But yes, shortcuts on the Mac, pretty cool. I do use a few shortcuts on my, um, like I do that for reminders. I had I have a shortcut on my on my uh, phone here, one for home and one for work. And when we when I was going to work, I would basically, if I needed to do something when I got to work, I would just create a, a shortcut reminder when I arrived to do such and such, call the dentist or whatever, you know. Um, and the same thing when I when I was coming home, I would you know make a reminder for myself when I got home, like move the mail server, little little tasks like that, right? Um, I'm being facetious. That was a joke, but um, <laughs> I still haven't moved the mail server. <laughs> no, but I, I've written apps uh, based around um, Apple Script, and like over the years, like you said, like especially with the tightening of security on Mac OS, yeah. it's gotten harder and harder to to like actually maintain those apps. So, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think Apple Script was one of the first programming languages I used back in the day. Right, I think I had the beta version of it. I think it was on System seven it came out apple script right because uh, i remember i had a, i actually have a floppy disk with the first first uh, version of it on there and i have the you know the uh the uh, apple script one two three book by sal segoyan um book as well so yeah big apple apple script fan but uh, we used to use apple script actually in production back in when i was working in print and publishing because we had repetitive tasks that we had to do with large large amounts of data and, and we used to use apple scripts to sort of sort through all that stuff and yeah, those were the days. Anywho, um, what else we got on Monterey there, Jaime? Perhaps the most. Oh, you said that already. <laughs> well, sure, but the 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 most I'm guessing most controversial part of this was Safari, uh, with regards to uh, the tab bar redesign in um, in iOS and the way that 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 whole tab bar works and looks on uh, macOS. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this is the one yeah, area I that's probably going to change the most during the betas. I, I don't think what the first beta has will will be what ultimately ships. Uh, you know exactly as is in September. Well, I'm experiencing that with the, with the iPad I have now because because I've got it's got like the tab bars here as well and and uh, I think the deck or what was it called the when it kind of clumps them together and makes groups of them. Um, I find it odd that you know like I I'm I don't know maybe because I'm we're so used to the browser having the URL locator right in the middle of the screen right and always the same size. Uh, it kind of moves around on the iPad, and, and I hope it's not going to be like that on the Mac, because it is a bit confusing. Um, you know, how do I change the address? Oh, yeah, I just type on, tap on it, and it brings it up like a regular uh, URL bar. But um, it, it's odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. say that. It's odd. 
Does it look like that on, on uh, Monterey? Do you have like a single line? Because when I'm looking at it in my Safari now, I have a window, and then I have the URL across the top, and I've got my, my ghost, ghostry, I've got my my 1Password icon, and then I've got, you know, the share, the airdrop icon, and then I've got a, a favorites bar where I've got like a bunch of bookmarks that are just always available. And then I've got like, you know, and some of them have drop downs, but is that what it's like in, in Monterey? Yeah. If you can describe in it. In the one hour that I've used it, it's so strange to see all the tabs and the address bar all in one line and being able to decipher. Yeah. Like I, I would call myself fairly conservative in the number of tabs that I use. And even for me, I found it to be pretty, pretty overly dense on Monterey. Well, I'm I'm currently looking at my screen, my main screen right now. I've got to have 20 tabs open, you know, <laughs> stuff that I, because I open stuff and I, I, I got to go back to that. So I'll leave it open and then I just open a new tab or whatever, right? Yeah. And I assume you're supposed to use like tab groups and that's the other stuff to, to organize it. Yeah. And I think it'll take some getting used to. And I'm not so sure it's going to survive till, you know, October or, or September, but we'll see. Oh, as a feature, you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, cause uh, it's so disorienting for people. Uh, at least on the Mac. Yeah, that reminds me of a bunch of features that were in um, System 8, I guess we call it, right? Um, there were all these really kind of cool features that never saw the light of day. <laughs> you know, once they were they were kind of announced and then, then they looked really cool. Like some of the Finder enhancements they had back in those days were looked really cool and they just never... Never came, never shipped, you know? Yep. Yeah, interesting. Good point. Back to my notes. Tab groups. Beth. I have Beth here. Hmm. Shareable code with Safari extensions. What do you think about that? I mean, it, it, if I understood it, so bringing um, web extensions to iPhone and iPad that share code with existing Mac web extensions, sounds like it would enable more stuff to come over to, uh, to iOS and, and iPad OS. So there are extensions, and maybe I'm thinking of the wrong thing for the extensions of plugins, but there are things out there that can do uh you know more interesting ad blocking is is one case that don't exist on iOS and iPad OS that presumably now could uh, using this this shared uh, shared architecture presumably I don't consider myself to be a big extension user on Safari of course now that I'm looking at my my uh, Big Sur toolbar there's quite a few out there but it uh, it was this is another one of those features that I kind of thought huh, wait oh we don't have extensions oh I guess we don't <laughs> on uh, on iOS when when they announce it so. Maybe oh, it's true. Yeah, this might be a really big thing for third-party extension developers. I mean, to be able to open it up and have a, uh, have the, you know these new markets for iPad and iO and iPhone. I mean, that's that that'd be good for them, um, and then hopefully good for the users too to be able to have cool extensions that they can that they can use. Well, that's like like the for instance, I have one password running all the time, and that's a that's a, an icon that appears up in my address bar on Big Sur, and then I also have Rakuten, which I don't buy things very often on my Mac, but on the iOS, Rakuten has to be a separate app, and it lo- it loads um, like Amazon or whatever in a portal when you want to when you want to use Rakuten to get the discount, right? Um, that's the thing where you get you get cash back for your purchases, a percentage of it, right? Um, so, and, and I find that since we went to this new share sheet thing in, I guess, iOS 14, um, one, one password used to be really easy to get to. You'd, you'd click on the little share, uh, you know, little box pointing up the share thing, but you'd have to scroll down quite a ways to get to one password. You use one password too, don't you, Jaime? I do use one password. Yes. Yeah. Don't you find it, it was easier to get to before this latest incarnation of share sheet? On Safari, I don't end up using it that way, so I end up using the keyboard shortcut to trigger. I'm talking about on your phone. Uh, oh, oh, on the phone. Um, I usually end up using the um, 
what, you, what is it? This is like the automatic suggestion that tells you, like, you know, you, you oh, tap, tap right, into a, a right. password field. Browser, it's like, hey, yeah. do you want to use one password? But yes, I do. And my face is already looking at the phone. So it, it just unlocks right yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me try that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so, Jaime, we're talking about uh, developer tools. Like, and so, somebody mentioned that they they waited till the very end to sort of talk about developer technologies. But um, I know the you know a couple of years ago they announced uh, uh, Swift UI in 2019 and 2014 they announced Swift in general. Um, do they? kind of skirt over developer stuff normally in the keynote i think they've they've gone on a little bit of a a harder split where the keynote has become increasingly um more for normal people um you know fans uh who are, who are not necessarily developers and certainly for the media with you know hints of what's to come for the real show for developers which is the platform state of the union which is where they they really get into the okay so you may have suspected that we'd have an API for this thing we talked about. Guess what? We do. And here's how it works, right? That's I've, I've seen that pattern over the last, I don't know, three, four years, I think. Mm-hmm. But yes, in the Worldwide Developer Conference keynote, uh, developer technologies was the very last thing, but they did give it a special segment, and there is some good stuff in here. Uh, APIs around uh, the sharing API, uh, screen time, ARKit improvements, including uh, uh, the object capture thing, Swift concurrency with actors, async await, that sort of stuff. Uh, they made a little bit of, of a, a, a you know hint towards what App Store is doing, like A/B testing, uh, in-app events, an App Store widget that blows my mind. I'm not sure why anybody needs that, but okay, they, they've got a widget, <laughs> and and surprisingly not named Xcode Plus. It is Xcode Cloud. Uh, which is right. probably the biggest thing. I don't know why they didn't call it plus. Everything else is plus, but all right, Xcode Cloud, sure. Um, thoughts on on any of this stuff, folks? Well, the Xcode Plus obviously is, is something we'll talk about as well. We can talk about it now. We can talk about it in the platform state of the union, but that's sort of their continuous integration uh, solution, right? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. It's basically uh, whatever the Build Buddy team had that Apple bought and then integrated fully into Xcode. Um, it sounds really cool, and I'm I'm curious, kind of how if there's a web interface to some of this stuff, or if like w- workflows, as they call them, can be edited in a text editor and are just restricted to a GUI on Xcode. So I have a few questions about that, but it definitely looks like um, it's awesome to see Apple get in the CI space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That Buddy Build did actually have a, a web interface. I I saw a demo of Buddy Build in 2016, I think. Um, where basically, you know, it took a minute to sort of get connected, um, you know, and create an app and, and push up a build to it and that kind of stuff. And it was all, you know, managed in the cloud kind of thing, right? So it's it, very similar to what we saw in terms of the demo that they did. Um, it's kind of cool. I mean, for those of us who are supporting Android and, and iOS, you know, Jenkins is sort of the go-to um, tool for that kind of stuff, right? I've been doing a lot with uh, GitHub CI and GitLab CI, and I've really been happy with those two. Um, so. Yeah, I've been using GitLab myself lately. Moved off yep. of Jenkins. Right. Mm. Oh, you're off of Jenkins? In our uh, organization, we use uh, Circle CI for our uh, continuous integration. And honestly, when I saw this whole Xcode Cloud 
a service or you know feature products uh, come be be announced I, I just thought that is something that I could use you know because I'm not I'm not the type to get into deep into the CI stuff I, I don't I don't have enough time for that right now <laughs> I need to be able to have something that's kind of it, it may, will handle sort of the most simple straightforward cases and and I'm speaking in terms of my own you know app development here and um, and so I, I don't need anything that's going to be super complicated and, and and, uh, or, you know, I guess uh, um, super customizable, I guess is the word I, I, that I'm looking for. But the features that they had were impressive to be able to test on these multiple devices and things. And, um, yeah. and these are the things that but my QA, the QA team that I work with, I mean, they have automated systems to to test on multiple device types. And, and they're just basically... Oh, I don't want to say giving it to us because it sounds like pricing is to be announced. So <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out how much it's going to cost us. But sure, look cool. I, I agree. I definitely saw it as as the CI solution for someone who isn't part of an enterprise, right? Doesn't have a DevOps team, doesn't have a big group that's, that uh, that justifies doing something like a like a like a Jenkins kind of solution. It's it's just you, but you want the advantages of CI for doing your you know build automation and and the most interesting thing I thought of it actually was, about it was was the doing your builds off of your own machine, which you know which is a constant uh, source of of a limitation on developer productivity. Right, is is having to sit there and wait for Xcode to do this long build, which can take you know several minutes at times and being you know limited in what you can do on your own machine you can't you can't really develop code because while it's building if you just start changing things then xcode kills the build right so so if you can have the build running somewhere else while you're editing code somewhere else then you get the results back and you can you can increase increase your throughput by quite a bit with that and that's sort of the flow you use now right like don't you push a build out to the server and wait for it to come out like when you're doing pr like, isn't that the idea? Like, it's more about doing pull requests than it is about doing. Like, I, I would think, still think you're going to do a local build on your device, on your, your local oh, yeah, Mac, yeah. right? Uh, yes. So, yes. Uh, of course, you do that for doing pull requests and all that. But it seems like with this, you could do all your builds. If you're just a single person, why not do all your builds off the machine? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of CI work with Swift packages and apps and have been really happy with GitLab CI. I'm actually curious um, if this might be a good fit for the enterprise, though, too, because right. of the privacy concerns. And there just is not a great, like, end, quote unquote, enterprise solutions just based on the work that I've done um, outside of GitLab or GitHub. So. I'll be curious to see, like, if they try to go that angle as well. But not doing Android is a big limitation, I would say. You have That's to have true. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, if only Google had a cloud platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we skipped over uh, one of the cool things, obviously, because I'm looking at my 3D printer here, side-eyeing it, is the object catcher, capture for macOS, where you basically can use your phone to scan... Uh, a three an object I- into a 3d object and use it in in your um your core ml projects and uh somebody printed it out they were doing it i guess they were doing like the sort of the the working hands-on working stuff today and he'd scanned a little fuzzy koala uh character that he had and uh he made a 3d you know like a three foot high one in his backyard with with uh air kit but he also took that same file and brought it out as an obj and printed it out on his 3d printer 
and it was quite quite detailed in terms of like how how well it captures right so um i think that that's kind of a really cool thing i can tell you as as someone who's done a lot of 3d work um building models and stuff like that to just be able to scan something is is huge you know um it's not the same as like you know going like like the people who do things for thingiverse and stuff like that they spend a lot of time i mean i have like a 3d printed millennium falcon which looks like you know something kenner made right um well that's kind of cool what do you guys think of of that sort of um able to capture um 3d objects in real real space how does that work exactly like um i don't don't know if we have any talks yet about it but is is it like work with any iphone that it can do it or Uh, is there a special app for it or what well, yeah, it may require the lidar scanner, yeah, um, which would yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. So, because I mean, uh, we used to have a thing called QuickTime VR. We used to have this rig that uh, big giant. It looked like a big C, right? Like, and it was like twelve feet tall, and it had a turntable on it. And you would put like a coffee cup on the turntable, and the turntable would would had had motors, and it would had detente positions, and it would rotate the cup. And then you had like a three D, like a camera, like a, a DSLR camera kind of fancy thing like that and it would take multiple pictures and then quick time vr would stitch them all together and then you'd have a cup that you could sort of roll around and flip and whatever and that's what this technology does is is it takes multiple um shots of the object and stitches it into a 3d object and so basically it makes a a 3d object which most 3d objects are, are just they don't have any color and then there's a color map that's added to them to basically create the material effects and I, I think it, that's what it's doing too right like um so you're getting a full color um rendering of of the object and it's it, you know it looks like you don't even need a lidar scanner you just need to do a lens rear camera that's what i'm seeing here from nine to five mac article which is that's awesome um yeah yeah i mean i used to do some quick time i did some quick time vrs myself like because uh, we had the software at work and i would i went to my my uh, sister-in-law's farm and i and i put a piece of paper on the ground and drew like you know like a compass on it and i stood there with my camera and i turned my body you know 10 15 degrees and took pictures and then brought them home and stitched them together to make these big panoramas right that you could so you like i don't know if you remember the quick time vr stuff they used to have pictures of apple campus on them and you at the infinity loop you could actually go and look at them and and i think that before they destroyed the set of the the next generation enterprise they did a bunch of quick quick time vr captures of the, of the, oh, nice. the whole ship yeah because they you know they, they destroyed the set for the for the uh first contact movie right was it first contact which was the one they i mean where they crashed uh, where uh deanna troy crashed the, the ship into that the is generations generations right okay <laughs> Yeah, for that one, um, they actually did wreck the set for that one. Um, yeah, cool. That was so. That was definitely definitely something that caught my eye. And the other one that caught my well, I mean, uh, we have to talk about Swift concurrency, don't we? Yes. Yeah, for sure. this is this is the stuff. biggest thing that yeah. came out so far. Yeah. Yep. So hit us. We'll wait. This is huge. I mean, this is going to change. This is going to change how we do everything. Uh, you know, all of the existing design patterns that we use. I mean, not all of them, but a, a huge number of them are going to change. Uh, it's it's interesting because because you know when Swift first came out, it was it was posed as as a very functional language with which fits into the idea of closures and all that very well. And and this is this is kind of move away from that. But but that's beside the point. Um, it's this is this is a huge step forward in terms of simplifying your code. 
and cleaning things up. But I'm looking forward to it quite a bit. It's like arc for threading yeah, kind, kind of, of concept, right? Kind of is. Oh, that's a good description. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> TM, trademark. Yeah. I've worked yeah. with like promises before and I've worked with languages with async and await, but I've never done anything with actors. And I found the session on acting uh, actors just absolutely fascinating uh, about how it works and how it's this new type along with like classes and structs to make sure that, um, you know, your data, you don't run into race conditions essentially, where you can change data at the same time in two different sessions, uh, two different threads i haven't been able to get into the sessions that do the deep dive into these topics yet but one of the sessions that was really great for me personally um because i've i've had some exposure in the past to you know uh, javascripts was i think it might have been es7 that had say async yeah. away um yep. so i've had a little bit of exposure to that um i by no means like an expert in it or anything so um there's a portion of the what's new in Swift um, video that is just excellent. Um, it's done by Tim. I want. I'm, I'm going to mess up his last name. I want to say Kitzel. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, keeps oh, on. I got it. Okay, cool. Um, and that part, <laughs> that part of his of the that particular presentation was just great for me because he it, it went at a very nice pace and said, okay, this is what you know the very the async await um, portions mean, and then he talks about actors, and it was and for me just a very nice kind of intro to it, and it really made me want to get and do the the deep dive later. So uh, I I've been recommending you know. If, if anyone is kind of feels a little intimidated by this this new stuff, you know, go check that out because it'll it'll definitely calm you down a little bit because he explains in a very straightforward way. The video that I saw was uh, the one on protect mutable state with Swift actors. By the way, that was the one that explained the whole actor stuff. Also, just the meat of async await is a is a great one too. Great introductory one. Yep. Oh yeah. Hi, mm. thoughts? Yeah, I. I don't have experience with async await in um, the .NET world, the C Sharp world, but I do have a little bit of it in the the Node.js world, and it it works pretty well, at least in my limited usage. Where it's not like it enables things you couldn't do before, but it, it does make it easier to to read what's happening as if it was sequential, um, you know, lines of code, even though there are asynchronous callbacks and etc. And it's it's pretty nice to just say, okay, well, I know that all of these things are going to have to happen. I'm going to wait for them all to happen. And yes, you could have done this with like dispatch groups or semaphores and, and like a million other different things like promises. But now it's baked into the platform. So now instead of having yet another way or or betting all your your money on uh, this one particular pony who's who's destined for the glue factory um <laughs> you know it's here and it's officially part of the platform which is great yeah. right now having uh, said all that i still find the concept of pausing in the middle of a function to be very weird does anyone else have this reaction so the await so part? yeah yeah so you normally you have a function and and there's a continuous flow that you can trace even if it's through a closure that comes back to that function or the function ends even if and if you do something asynchronous it doesn't feel like you're sitting waiting in the middle of that function, which you do with the awaits now. So for me, it's a little weird. Uh, and then, and then to have an actual return at the end is, is I still find that weird. So I'm going to think get, like, uh, I can, I can attempt to try to, uh, explain it, but, um, I think of it more like a, like a promise or a, a callback closure, which you probably are more familiar with in Swift. And the, 
in that case, like what, what we've done is like we return uh, rather than having a callback. Um, so so that way that the code is looks a lot smoother. Once you get over the whole fact that wait means like it's going to be run asynchronously and it's not it's not going to stop your whole applications. It's only going to be within that function. I think it, it makes a lot more sense. But yeah, I totally get where you're coming from yeah. when you first look at it. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that it works. It's just it, it just when I look at code, it's I have. Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm making a kind of a face right now. <laughs> well so so for me knowing like you know with all my my web dev experience too like like i i know that you know when i when i'm calling for data that's actually local on device it's like it's it's there it's right in front of me right but a lot of times when i'm making a call you know that to a service and even even one that i've run or an api that i've written and and it takes a while to go fetch that information bring it back i mean the whole idea of of you know making a call and then you know where does it go it's still held in the closure it's escaping and that kind of stuff the fact that you have to even though the the, the user has moved on they've they've tapped on something else and they're completely gone and the views dismissed and whatever I think the escaping closure or whatever you want to call it that's underneath this is sitting there waiting for that response to come back and then you deal with it or you don't, right? But, um, I mean, because dispatch queues, you know, and, and GCD and all that kind of stuff, it can it can be confusing for a lot of yep. a lot of people coming mm-hmm. at it, understanding, you know, understanding that, you know, you have a thread, you have the main thread always, and you have this other thread that you create, and then, you know, that thread can be freed up to do some some other task while you're waiting for something to happen, right? Um, and then, and you're not blocking the UI, and you're not blocking the, the process while you wait for this this answer to come back, right? Um, uh, I don't know, like in in the case of the my day job, we we we're constantly fighting fighting with with when when is the answer coming back, and you know when do we make the call, and and how many calls do we make, and how many times, like if we're using semaphores, how many times do we let it repeat the call? you know um till we get it back so this this sounds like um taking that sort of that taking that off of our shoulders right like apple's going to do the heavy lifting in that sense right um shows a lot of promise yeah yeah. no pun intended right (laughs) pun was intended actually i mean pun pun intended yeah to me it felt like i mean this is i i tend to come at these things and like grossly oversimplify but um it, it when i looked at it i was like oh it was the same feeling when i saw you know doing something like you know a guard statement and then having your pyramid of doom just kind of go away and mm. uh it, that's how i that was the same feeling i i had when i started seeing and understanding just you know uh, starting to understand how it, this async await uh how this this works to me it felt very much like oh so all of those you know the nested uh closures and you know and all of that gobbledygook trying to manage all of that it just kind of goes away and then it, it i mean theoretically goes away and then um and, and then you're left with a very nice structure that's easy to follow and for me I, that was it was super appealing and i'm really looking forward to trying it out yeah. Well, now we don't have to deal with the period of doom with closures, right. hopefully. So yeah. exactly. That's that's kind of what I was getting at, which is that that pyramid of doom of you know the, the closure stuff kind of goes away, and uh, and it's a much more simple structure to 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 read through. 
Now, the only downside is that if you need to support old versions of iOS, you won't be able to use any of this for a couple of years. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm I currently know a few dispatch semaphores I'm trying to wrestle with <laughs> as we speak. Right? Yeah, cue the sad trombone sound because yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot the, of people my, my heart happy about that. Yeah, my heart sank when I when I heard that because I do. I'm in the same kind of thing. I have I just. Probably six months ago or something when I guess people were kind of talking about async await and all this. And I was, I was right in the middle of kind of a very complex dispatch group problem, you know, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, boy, I wish that was here now. And so it's here now, but I still have to wait maybe a year or so before we can. Yeah. Is this part of Swift 5.5? I think what it is, is it's part of Swift 5.5. And since you can't install Swift 5.5, or at least most users, 99% of users aren't going to install Swift 5.5 on their Big Sur or their iOS 14, you can't build an app because they won't have the runtime for it. So oh, right. that's kind yeah. of my understanding. Uh, and as somebody who does a lot of like server-side Swift, uh, we we don't care because you, you usually can just install or build uh, using Swift uh, 5.5 on a server. So that's not that's not an issue. But on client machines where you can't just expect users to have Swift 5.5, you just can't build for those features. Right. That that's a really that's a really good point to understand. Thank you for bringing that up because that the that runtime needs to be on those those operating systems. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And if uh, we we have that link to the forum post, but like a lot of people are like, well, I can I can install Java. I can install. Well, yeah, but nobody's gonna install Swift Swift runtime five five on their iOS twelve phone. It's yep. just not gonna happen ever. Right. Now, having said that, we're we're up to over ninety percent usage of iOS 14 in in devices out that are out there in the field right now. So maybe it won't be as long as as we're all thinking. Maybe it'll only be a year or so before you know, for all practical purposes, you can you can migrate to it. Hopefully, yeah, that's the and, optimistic way of looking. And at also it. think, uh, no old devices were dropped in iOS 14, so that's even better. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. iPhone six, well, success. six was dropped last time. Success but. and SE, yeah, those are the lowest ones. Yeah, yeah. SE first gen, I should say. Yeah. Right. And to answer Mark's, the, the thing about it is, I think I think the the supporting older OSs it depends on your customer sure. base, of right? Yep. Uh, yeah. So you know, some of us are not going to be doing this for a couple of years, but um, yeah. Sorry to steal your uh, your uh, WWC keynote talk there, Jaime. But no, this is. Uh, this can is... I just say test light for the Mac? Can I just say that real quick? <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, people are waiting for that one. Uh, we'd like to move on to the the platform state of the union, kind of rip through that. But uh, so I know we've mentioned a couple of other talks. I do want to I do want to just give a, a, a hat tip to demystifying Swift UI. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Yeah, that was Mark's great. been trying to explain to us about how views live and and. Uh, that's it was a really good talk on on um if you if you're curious what goes on under the hood with swift ui it was a very enlightening talk in as much as wwc talks are enlightening um but yeah so should we move on to the platform state of the union Jaime? what do you think yeah did you all catch anything in there that uh you think wasn't covered it, it feels like they they didn't give many surprises i think um again given that the the keynote is sort of more for for like normal folks and then the, the yeah. real developer show starts with the platform state of the union well i, I can hit the high points real quick just so because they did talk about xcode cloud which we've covered they talked about uh test flight on the mac they talked about crowd 
crash logs being delivered in Xcode from from the cloud uh, the cloud thingy. Uh, beta will be limited beta for now, and you have to apply for it. And the pricing will be in the fall, which we talked about. Uh, music in mu- the music app is written in Swift, uh, Swift UI or Swift. I can't remember what they said. Uh, Swift UI, the UI. Maps app, the Photos app yeah. on macOS. They didn't mention Shazam Kit. Did you guys know Shazam Kit um, in the talk? Yeah, there were yes. a bunch of sessions on that. Yeah, I haven't watched any of them yet. I also want to point out that Shazam Kit is available on Android as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. It has a proper AAR uh, archive, which is interesting. That's interesting. Well, there, there was a few things like that. like like, And, and I've, I've mentioned this many times on the show that for me, the, the, the reason why we have iPhones today is because Apple released iTunes in, on Windows, right? Yep. So that you could load up an iPod <laughs> on a Windows device. So uh, the more times they do that kind of stuff, cross-platform stuff, the, 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 the wider the net's going to be. Yep. Uh, we talked about SwiftUI and Async Away. Uh, sorry, Swift, Swift concurrency that is. Um, actors and all that. Oh, uh, Doxy. See. I don't know if they said uh-huh. that in the platform state of the universe. That's a big deal. Uh, adding robust documentation via code. Oh, is that was that for Swift package manager purposes? Do you know? Did you watch any talks on that yet? Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I think it's based around a Swift package. Um, but the idea is, is you can build robust documentation, uh, right within Xcode that's natively supported. So you don't need like a jazzy or a source docs. It's all within Xcode and it can be run either through Xcode or uh, Xcode build. Right. Cool. They added some cool things into Swift UI. Uh, list, refreshable, and searchable are two things that they've added. Um, uh, property wrapper or no, uh, modifiers. But one modifier that's kind of cool has to do with accessibility representation. And I don't know if you guys did any Saudi talks on that, but if you build a custom control that's similar to a built-in control, you can borrow the representation from that other thing. Like if you have something like a custom slider that you built, you can pour the, pour the recipe accessibility stuff from that slider bring it over into your own custom slider and then you can custom tailor the the messages um when we were when they were talking uh in the keynote i asked you guys on slack are they saying voice over router or what but it actually is rotor r-o-t-e-r and i don't know what it i watched the accessibility talk today and i still don't know what it is um also table so, uh, is coming to yeah. mac os from swift ui which one table like an actual real table not like a oh, table Table, yeah, with table columns and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 that looked really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did talk about the the uh, playgrounds again. Uh, Swift Package Manager based format is what I have in my notes. Or Package Manager, uh, you can build projects. Deep integration support for Swift UI, obviously. Um, AR, we talked a bit about Reality Kit for AR um, is a is a tool that's out there. USDZ or USDZ if you're in Canada files. Or output from that, as well as OBJs and and uh, something else. Didn't mention a figure. Basically, used for three D printing. New uh, compute APIs for Metal. Let's see, game controller support, which is for Jaime. <laughs> uh, visual debugger for Metal. That's that's a big one. I think uh, focus. We talked about focus widgets. Yeah, you're right. We have pretty much covered all of the things, right? Do you mind if I uh, plug that I did a whole episode on the platform state of the union? So, um, of course, yeah. We'll we'll put a link in the show mm-hmm. notes for that. Was that just recently? Oh, you just did that the other day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had Peter Witham on from Compile Swift on him. Uh, yeah, that cool. was like nice. an hour and a half of content. So if you want to hear, 
you want to hear me go on and on about it, feel free. Oh, and somebody posted here, accessibility router for me. <laughs> yeah. I, rotor, sorry. I, 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 I had played around with it because I did a little bit of accessibility stuff. And then that, you know. What is a rotor? What, is it, what does it mean? You, I didn't get if that. If you pull up the, the page that I put the link in there to, it's actually a, it's a on-screen device that you use to um, sort of fine-tune the way that voiceover works. And right, uh, okay. so there's that link kind of talks about that the rotor and what it's for and, and how it works. There is a new debugger too in in uh, accessibility accessibility testing on simulators. Oh, this thing. Okay, so it's an actual thing. Now that I see the hmm. photo, uh, which we'll have the link in the show notes, those of you driving at home, it is in fact a rotor. And now yeah, I exactly. understand oh, wow. what yeah, they mean. Co- yeah, they're not kidding. So what does it do? It's this little on-screen like you dial. You can turn it. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. a switchable dial that you can. Oh, and it'll go through the. It'll go through and read each of the items. That the idea? Well, it says you can change the volume, speaking rate, move from one line to the next, and then other features. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. cool. Options for navigating. Yeah, because they did talk in the accessibility talk about, like, you know, imagine you have a screen full of content. Normally, voiceover reads from top to bottom or left to right. Um, but this, uh, you can say, you know, like, play, you know, the push the button, buy now button would be the sort of the first thing that gets kind of announced, right? Uh, if that's the purpose of your, your UI, right? So that's kind of cool. All right. Um, yeah, so I guess we can talk about some of the talks that we, we have enjoyed the uh, last couple of days. What do you think? Yes? Anyway, I, I, I went and watched the, uh, the, today I watched the Demystify Swift UI, which came out today is Wednesday as we record, went July, June 9th. Um, and uh, yeah, really cool sort of talk about how a view um, is created and how it has an, each, has an a, a explicit identity or, or a structural identity depending on on whether it's named or not um how how the lifetime of that view um how i think mark's kind of explained this before but like you know you have a view that's created and then if you mutate that view or mutate an element an object on that view another view is created and then while swift the compiler compares the two views to see if something's changed and then it tosses the other view and then the view model you mean yeah well they called it a view but um and they, they have this at view builder thing which is underneath the hood um which you can call yourself if you want but but this it's a basically view builder is what's doing this sort of the the heavy lifting there and then um they talked about how you know if you have like an in an if statement there's basically potentially two views get created one in each each of the two branches right um and that's how you know if it statement's true it'll it'll build from one build a view from one part of the condition and otherwise from the other one and that's where it sort of does the sort of view getting recreated kind of thing as you go through switches and conditions and that kind of stuff, right? So really enlightening talk if I'm doing a real horrible job of explaining it, but um, definitely check it out. A couple of things I took out of this from uh, Big Notes is like a view has a value and a view has an identity, but they're not the same thing. The identity is the actual thing that describes the view itself and the value is what the view contains. And then uh, they talk about state lifetime and state objects. Um, and how they relate to view lifetime as well. So it's it's definitely an enlightening talk. If you want to know what's going on under the hood, for sure, uh, I would definitely check that talk out. Take some of the some of the magic out of out of Swift UI. <laughs> you know, any other talks you guys thought that were good? So this this is one that probably I bet you not many people have actually watched it because it's. I bet you're going to say Foundation. Yes. <laughs> 
You know me too well, Tim. <laughs> that was one what? I looked at and explicitly did not download. I was like, oh, there'll be nothing good. It's like, oh, dang, Mark found something good. What's new in Foundation? <laughs> yeah, it's a great, has, great has talk. Three, yeah, three really killer things in there. Uh, no, I just lost my notes. Here they are. Uh, the first one is attributed strings now natively they're native structs in Swift, uh, which is that's not the most colorful thing, but it's kind of a nice thing. You know, it's no longer backed by Objective C classes anymore, uh, which is which is kind of cool. But the one that made me sit up and say, "Wow!" most is something I bet people use every day and are always a little bit annoyed that they have to use them. And this makes it go away is formatters are no longer a thing. Date formatters, number formatters. Oh my gosh. You no longer need them. So if you want to format your date, you don't have to create an NS date formatter and set it up and all that. You just call a method, a format method on your date object and pass in the parameters and it's done. Beautiful. I would even go nice, so far yeah. to say it just works. Well, not having, not having yeah. tried it yet. There we is don't no know that it too. does, but I, yeah. I assume that. That was one thing. And the third one was a uh, grammar agreement. So now built, just built into the OS. Remember, remember every time you had to go and say, okay, if, if count is greater than one, then add an S to the end of this. Yeah, it's like one um, apple, two exactly. apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh wait a minute, what? What if there's an exception, and you know, do it in that case, and you have to track all that. No longer. That's all built into the language now with this grammar agreement. And also including, also including like languages where you have gender yep. in the in the, the yep. term. It also does that stuff automatically exactly. as well. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. So, what's new in Foundation? You know, like I, like I said, most people skipped over it, but it's worth it's worth checking out. It's that thing you import into Playgrounds, right? exactly. There was uh, something that I thought was kind of cool in that, in in addition to the things that Mark mentioned, um, was that being able to initialize with the localizable uh, strings. And so that that makes things a lot simpler. And I think actually, yeah, you pointed that out to me the other day. And so, yeah, string localized. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's really cool. And then I ended up, you know, talking about that to my, the, my team and and they're like, well, that's really cool. That's (laughs) so, yeah. Cause we, we've built a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of infrastructure around localization and and doing similar things so it's nice to see it just kind of happen now in foundation yep, yep. yeah we talked about in swift in what's new in swift ui we talked about the uh, the table stuff and i think await but there's also if you're into core data like some of us are on this call um Fetch requests, sort descriptors. They now provide a binding for sort descriptors, which is really nice. Um, you have the new dot searchable modifier. Um, there's an on drag modifier if you're dragging things around on your screen. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of good stuff. A lot of SS symbols obviously have now been um, they, many more of them, and they're various. Uh, they've added a couple more parameters to it. There's hierarchical, hierarchical versions and palette versions. So you can have multi colored uh versions of your swift, swift sf symbol, symbols um yeah the accessibility children modifier the, and the accessibility representable which i talked about um there's a thing called tech dot text selection modifier and for mac os if you're selecting text and the the focus stuff you can have you can basically launch a view and make a particular uh table or table fields focused if you want uh, when you land on the view, which is kind of nice. So that's kind of, you can set whether something is in focus or not, which I think is people have been asking for a lot too, right? 
and um, buttons have gone buttons. off yeah. the hook. Yeah. yeah, yeah, buttons, lots of buttons. Uh, they've added uh, standard border buttons is the main thing, but there's an entire section, no entire session on just buttons alone, which I haven't gone to, but but I've seen people tweeting about um, with screenshots. Wait, didn't Apple tell us that buttons are not supposed to have background and, and it should just be a change in color? <laughs> I feel like the the casting uh, off of the Johnny Ive era is pretty pretty dramatic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now they have the, the what is it, prominence style? Is that what it's called? Yeah, control prominence. It's funny they say don't overdo it, <laughs> but uh, you can. You, it, it's interesting the way that they have that the small and large buttons, the large rounded rectangle bu- buttons that they have now. Um, things mm-hmm. that we've had to do manually for a long time. Oh, no, and multiple lines of text inside a button. Nice. How about that? Huh. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that was the, the example you were talking about, Mark, with the with the um, uh, grammar agreement or automatic re- grammar agreement. That was they were talking about. You know, changing the text and buttons mm-hmm. as well on that. In the example there, um, my last one that I'm going to talk about, and then you guys can sort of riff on, riff on yours, is sound classification. I don't know if you guys watched the the uh, it's basically CoreML technology. They they or CreateML, I guess it is. Um, they you can have um, write an app that will basically listen to the audio that you're playing. It'll recognize that there's music, and then when the singer starts singing, it'll also at the same time recognize that there's singing. You start snapping your fingers, it recognizes a finger snap, and if you pour tea, it recognizes that you're pouring water, and then if you you know put a ice a sugar cube in and stir the cup, it, it, it all through the, at the same time, the the machine language is able to, or machine learning is able to determine what different sounds are in a single audio stream which is amazing right so and they actually uh they had more cowbell in the talk too i don't know if you got if you watched it but uh the the joke was the the one guy had a sound file on his mac somewhere that had cowbell in it <laughs> and he he used this to search for the single file that had cowbell so, so this yeah. is basically i think coming out of the shazam technology it's it's these you know recurrent neural networks that that are used to um to learn time series of of signals and and you can recognize well, they, they did have sound classifiers last year before they well unless it is part of the Shazam thing under yeah. the hood but uh, they did have sound classifiers last year they also have hand um, the hand hand mode um, recognizers now too as part of the Coromel stuff but um, because uh, they're, they're talking about how like, I haven't seen the talk yet, but I think it's coming, and that's where um, you can actually um, manipulate the watch on your hand by using different gestures. Yeah, I saw your, that. That's uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's all part of the whole um, machine learning stuff that Apple's been doing. Mm-hmm. That talk's coming tomorrow. We haven't seen it yet. Anything else? Any other talks you guys saw that were off the hook? I enjoyed the "Take Your iPad to the Next Level" talk. Oh, I haven't seen um, that one yet. Yeah, but you know that that probably is only of interest if you're if you're actively working on an iPad project for most. People. <laughs> well, I am always working yep, on iPad true. projects, as yep. you know. Uh, let's see what else I have bookmarked here. I have a bunch uh, bookmarked. Oh, I have a question for you. Uh, you are you watching on your Apple TV, Mark? Yes, mostly. How do you see if you have something bookmarked? I haven't been able to figure that out. Oh, I keep my bookmarks on my on my uh, computer, Phone? my desktop, and I oh, and okay. I just watch yeah. on the Apple TV. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do have the, the iPad one marked here. I'm just looking at my bookmarks. I, I went to both of the accessibility talks, which were really good. Um, I haven't gone to a What's New in AV Kit, but that's on my list. What's I, new I, in UI? I went to the What's New in AV Kit. It was it was very short. 
it was only it was only about eight minutes long or something like that. It was about video yeah, or something, yeah. right? It's like stuff about stuff about picture in picture, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was cooking hamburgers while I watched that one on, on the next to the barbecue. Yep. Uh, let's see. That is a great idea. <laughs> Multitasking. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. If you're if you're doing Noom, they'll tell you not to do that. But yeah. Um, let's see. That's what I got on my list. And, and no, the Apple Design Awards come out tomorrow, so we haven't seen that one yet. Uh, Diffable data sources. Well, that's from last year. I still haven't watched that one yet. Oh, that, those are really, <laughs> that's really good, actually. Yeah, I got to go back and watch yeah. that one. Uh, was it last year or two years ago? Yeah, uh, 2020. Difficult. Well, they may have brought it out in... in um, 2019, in, uh, they introduced it. 20, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and last yeah. year, they but did they, all the uh, the list configurations using Diffable data sources. Right, yep. right, right. Yeah, Discover built-in sound classification and sound analysis. That's the one that... Uh, they have 300 different types of models that they can look at. Anyway, I guess that's it for uh, for this. Should we go to our picks now? What do you think? Sure, sure. Yeah? Everybody's nodding their head up and down? Okay. <laughs> um, I'll go first. My first pick, Ashley, is a friend of the show, Leo Dion, uh, published a Orchard Nest where he aggregates various different resources, I assume, for, for mobile development. Uh, but the reason why I had it here, of course, is because he had the More Than Just Code episodes listed there. Um, so we published another episode uh, a couple of days ago, and I noticed it showed up on, on Leo's list. Do you want to tell us anything about that list, um, Leo? Uh, well, I mean, I got to say, I got a lot of... Um, I'm using the list that Dave Verwer has started, um, which is awesome, on uh, iOS Dev Directory. So uh, you can add your site there and then it will automatically uh, parse your information uh, and post new articles from your site onto Orchard Nest. So, um, yeah, it's got podcasts, YouTube videos, development, marketing, design, newsletters, all that stuff uh, is listed out. And when I get time, I uh, try to refine it, try to refine uh, the way right. the data is shown, what data is shown, because sometimes you can end up with a little bit of spam. But I think it's a great, great site if you want to get started finding people to follow. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't aware. I knew that, that we had been added or we added ourselves to Dave Rivers um, list. But so so he's providing the feed for you kind of thing or he has uh, if you go to add a site on the on the on Orchard Nest, uh, it links to his okay. iOS directory which is just a massive json file of rss feeds oh nice okay cool yeah so oh so it can and add uh, yeah yep yeah if yes. you just add a pull request on dave's uh site uh dave's repo you can add your own blog post podcast youtube channel whatever you have okay so if we have a podcast that's already there and we start doing new episodes, it'll show up on your list? Yeah, it's uh, it's all server-side Swift. Um, it runs a job probably three times a day um, to update the RSS feed cool. uh, information. Yep. Nice. That's incentive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my other pick, uh, even though I don't know if it, I don't even know if it's, a, if it's still a product, but my, my granddaughter was playing around with, with uh, my wife, she finally, we, we bought this Play-Doh Touch uh, app at uh, at the Apple Store years ago, and um, Quinn's now six, so she just got in, she just asked what it was, and she started, so you scan uh, these little Play-Doh uh, characters, and, and they animate, and you can play around with them and bounce them and whatever, and they walk, they kind of wiggle and walk around on the screen, but uh, Carol's a bit, you know, um, creative, so they scanned some bananas and croissants and stuff like that. And they put googly eyes on them, and so um, 
basically they they've been having fun like the bananas are funny when you when they they kind of walk around on this this little animated game you can only have two two objects at the time which is kind of a, a limit but it's fun for for the kids and they they really enjoyed it and sort of quinn's uh, quote that i captured was i want more fruit to put more on and i want put eyes on everything and so we carol took a picture and posted it on facebook of the fruit bowl because they all the fruit have eyes and they're all staring back at us now in the kitchen so <laughs> it was a fun thing <laughs> awesome. Jaime, you got a pick? I do. So a a pretty common thing to run into is, hey, I've got this, you know, JSON object response that I've received from calling a RESTful API, and I don't know my way around it. And if you want to use, you know, whether you're writing your own code, maybe for like a Swift playground, or if you're using some command line tools like JQ, it's kind of a hassle to sort of pick through and figure out, okay, how exactly do I get to this element that I want? And that's where this um, JSON selector generator at uh, jsonselector.com is pretty handy. So I got a couple different options here. If you go to that link, you can click the blue button to see some example JSON that they have that you'll be unfamiliar with. But you can say, all right, let me go ahead and process that with the, the green button. And now when you say, mm, I kind of want to see how do I get to uh, this address component's long name. So if you hover over it, you can click the value and then it gives you in this text field. All right. If you wanted to call that specifically, the res- selector is results, the zeroth object, address underscore components, the zero object of that, and then long name. So this is the sort of thing you can plug into, um, you know, again, like generator tools and stuff that'll, that'll let you slice and dice JSON. Uh, you could certainly write this in your code as well if you were using, you know, keyed uh, subscripts and et cetera. And I chose another link here for uh, the Studio Ghibli uh, API. So this is, this is an API of all their films. And if you were wondering, like, you know, how the heck do I get to, you know, one of these particular ones? We'll have this link in the show notes for those of you to, to, to try it at home. And it's pretty handy. Like, it's one of those quality of life sorts of things that um, I'd like to see Xcode make as a, as a native thing. Like, let me just throw this in here and have like a visual... Um, uh, you know, visual layout sort of thing of like, click that and then generate the code, you know, in Swift in that case to do this. Like I could see where people could take this. It doesn't do that now, but you've got another little tool in the toolbox for when you're, you're trying to slice and dice some, some JSON that you've never seen before. Cool. All right. Uh, Evan, you have a pick? Uh, yeah, actually I have um, a pick here. I, many people who listen to this may have already uh, been aware of this publication, but um, there's a, a book that has been written by by, or it's in the process of being written by Jordan Morgan of uh, Spenstack, and or formerly of Spenstack, he uh, he sold that uh, sold it off. But um, the 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 book is called uh, a best in class iOS app, and it is uh, just kind of a nice real collection of sort of. Um, techniques and best practices and things uh, that he's he's collected and written about in the past and it's all going to be compiled in this one particular it's particular book and uh, the topics he says the the five sections that are covered in this are uh, let me go over to this are accessibility design user experience and then uh, iOS technologies and frameworks and then what he calls tool belt expansion so um, right now the book is in beta and he's offering a bit of a discount I, I kind of think it's a little pricey but I, I, it's 
if you can business expense it, then, you know, maybe that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's giving a little bit of a discount now. It's like, uh, I think 80, $80 us right now. And it'll ultimately be probably a hundred, I guess. So, um, but you know, it, the, I, it seemed to me like it's going to provide some good value for, uh, app developer, app developers, especially indies who are really looking to kind of do the, the, um, the best practices that we, that we should do to make our apps, um, you know, feel right in the ecosystem and, and that kind of thing. So, um, I'm, I'm recommending it. I, I bought it. And, uh, right now I think he's only got like the first section kind of completed. Um, but he's rolling out new, new parts biweekly. So, uh, so it's just kind of like a beta program right now. And, and you can, and you get the, the updates as it goes. And he's, it's going to be sort of a live publication so that he'll, he's going to keep on adding to this as time goes on. Um, and so, so, uh, I, I've enjoyed getting into it. I haven't gotten too deep into it, um, but I do know that other folks have, have read it as well and have given big thumbs up for it too. So yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Nice. Agreed. Leo, do you have a pick? Yeah, sure. So we were speaking earlier about the chip shortages. There's a great video on YouTube uh, by Wendover Productions uh, call, uh, about why there are now so many shortages, uh, parentheses, it's not COVID. Well, it's partially COVID, uh, if you watch the video, but it's not completely COVID. Uh, and just going over like the different manufacturing and supply chain issues that companies, uh, kind of put themselves in a difficult situation, the way they order things, um, and how COVID kind of screwed them over. Um, really great video that kind of explains supply chain, supply chain management and making sure you and just in time manufacturing and all that stuff. Uh, so I highly recommend uh, checking that video out if you're interested in, in the current crisis in manufacturing uh, we're experiencing right now. Cool. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another episode. Hey, hi, me. People want to get in touch with you. How would they get, get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter is at dev with the hair and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. Right. And uh, Leo, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? Twitter at Leo G Dion. And don't you have a podcast they could listen to? Yep. Uh, you can check out my podcast, EmpowerApps.show. Cool. And last but not least, Evan, how can people get in touch with yeah. you? Uh, you can uh, go to Twitter and uh, find me at Evans K Stone, and that's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't you have a podcast as well? Uh, yes, I do. It's called iOS Dev Break. All right. You can find you on all wherever you get your, your podcast. So as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC, and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
Now we're in the after show. Da, 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 da. You don't hear the music on the, as you guys know. There you go. Thanks for thanks for coming out, helping out. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that was great, you guys. Nice to have you on. So nice to meet you, um, gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It was uh, yeah, for a blast. Sure. Kevin, what cool. do you? What do you do? I mean, how, how do we, how do we know you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, um, I am. Let's see. I'm a contract iOS developer. I am currently. Yep. I have like one big client. I mean, I've been doing iOS development since like 2011, and um, have some, you know, my own apps in the store and, and that kind of thing. I'm, I have a side project I'm working on. So, uh, and I also do a podcast, the iOS Dev Break podcast. Um, but it's mm-hmm. been really, really sporadic. Uh, I'll tend to go in runs where I'm doing a few, and then it, it'll kind of stop, you know, due to life and, so, and those kind of things. And uh, and then uh, start feeling better about it, and pick it up, or like WWDC will happen, and I'll I'll think, oh, I'm kind of in, in Inspired to, to start over again, so we'll we'll see how it all goes. Yeah, the other the other side of that is that when if you go to oh, I don't like this new iOS 15 Safari, it scares me. Um, if you go into Apple Podcasts and you search for iOS development, we we often come up number one worldwide, and number two, and sometimes number one is iOS Dev Break. Oh, ah, I see. So <laughs> that's how wow. I know him. Oh, Interesting. <laughs> yeah, we we did that organically. We don't know how we did how we got into that position, but we're we're happy we're happy it works. <laughs> Well, so, I, I've been a listener for a long time, and so I've I've I oh, really, wow. really really enjoy your show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in, it's one of oh, one thanks. of my go to shows. Like, wow. you know, there's there's like a handful I think of about maybe four or five that I really enjoy listening to. You know, others I will listen to because I feel like I need to just so I can brush up. Others are ones that I'm really uh, enjoy listening to, and and more than just kind of one of those. Great. So, right. Yeah. Cool. Oh, we weren't sure anybody actually listening. listened, so that's good to hear. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, at least we know, we know of three <laughs> people now, Mark. We know three people. Um, so I was actually kind of nervous coming on because, uh, to me, I'm like I'm like the nobody coming on. And, like, <laughs> you know, and, I, and you, you, I've been listening to you guys for a while, so... But it's right. Well, I, I was wrong, responded to your tweet the other day, and I thought, well, you know, if you're if you're not, you know, doing stuff, we could have you on yeah. just to get your opinion about this, because sure. you know, we try and we drag Tammy over for the WWC episode, and she's always, you know, she's our our, our, our other curmudgeon on the show. Yeah, right? nice. And, and, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's nice hearing Tammy come on periodically. Yeah, it's nice to get her perspective, and she's a, she's a she's a game developer, right? Which is why it's it's nice to have her on. We like to do these these sort of everybody has an opinion type shows WWDC and the like, right? Plus, you get different perspectives on you know things. And in case you're wondering, this is this is longer than we usually go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. not always, not always. Yeah, this this was a not always. Okay. Sometimes yeah. you get on a roll. Yeah. Because of WWDC, there's a lot to talk about. Plus, we had extra people, so I think we just kept going on and on. Yeah. And on. Mm-hmm. Which is, Imagine yeah. if we actually had yeah. hardware to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, never well, get off. While we're actually since you bring that up, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. And by the way, I did notice on my notifications here as my my um, my Mac went to sleep or my iPad went to sleep um, that I do have some time sensitive uh, reminders here that and they've got a highlight in, in yellow saying time sensitive, which is kind of cool. I haven't gone through and sort of set up any groups, but the other thing I want to talk about is this multitasking menu thing which you see at the top of the screen of course you can't see it with my background but there's three dots and when you click on them it, it lets you um where the heck are they 
Well, we talked about that, Tim. Yeah, but you, but did you talk about how it works? Like when you click on it and it, it lets it lets you open an app and then it waits for you to open the second app? No, I didn't talk about that. That's no. it, it, it's like they fixed multitasking, you know, because it used to where you used to have to drag things up from the dock at the bottom was was a bit yep. kludgy, right? And especially if yep. you did it yep. by accident. Um, but the, for me, the biggest thing on the iPad is that I always I have the magic um, keyboard, right? So my iPad is always in landscape, and I've always been using my iPad in landscape since since day one but now when i open an iphone app on my ipad it's no it now rotates 90 degrees oh, nice nice that is worth the price of admission is that only true if the first app nope. is supports multitasking no 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 i'm, I'm talking about just generally like oh, if just I, ever like, oh just yeah i've been waiting yeah, yeah, for yeah, instagram yeah, yeah. to be yeah instagram to be rewritten uh, and nice. it, it hasn't been but you know Instagram still hasn't been written for the iPad no. for Universal, and, no, and, it's, really and it's and it's always on its side, right? Which is really annoying. But I'm now I'm actually currently looking at Instagram, and I'm scrolling up and down, and and it's uh, it's great. So finally, face does Facebook work natively? Facebook has a has an iPad version, yeah. Okay, yeah. But even some of my own apps, like I, I have a, I have a couple of apps that are only iPhone only, and uh, and yeah, they they work properly and in you know, up and down mode i don't know what to call it but <laughs> i'm trying not to be too too snarky about it but because i feel like wow that it took them a really really long time to get this functionality mm. done but whatever the case is i yeah. mean better late than never i guess but uh well i i i gotta say i've had this this is a 2020 acquisition as well um when i first got it and i had the magic keyboard and i fired up you know put my ipad on it and fired it up the apple logo was rotated 90 degrees right and i kind of uh, went i kind of went what and then um because on the original the older ipads it never used to do that but the, they they fixed it now in um in i think around 14.5 or 14.6 they fixed it so that if the ipad is booted in landscape mode the apple rotates 90 degrees nice i gotta say i have a i have a 12.9 ipad yeah. in one of those magic keyboards and yeah. you can't even tell it's not a laptop most of the time <laughs> <laughs> i you know it's funny i I t- on my on my other Macs, I constantly reach to the screen. Like, yeah, I do that now too. I do yeah, that now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of go, oh wait, it's not a touch screen yet. One, one thing I'm a little yeah. surprised is that they still. I, it makes me wonder if they have analytics on this, like that, that they can know how many people actually use their iPads in portrait orientation versus landscape. Because they must know. Come because, on. I know, yeah. I know, and, and and because I am like I am 100% landscape always, always. Always, so for mm-hmm. me, it's really weird that they they had the camera and the uh, you know the face ID sensor on the yeah, left side. Well, for me, the way this is oriented, on the, it's on the left side, and as opposed to on the yeah. top. Yeah. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I understand yep. maybe why they're doing it, but it, it seems like that's something they probably need to deal with at some point because my hand yeah. is always over it. <laughs> When I'm op- you know, opening it up, and then and you see the little arrow pointing to the the sensor, like your your hand <laughs> is over this thing, move your hand. Oh yeah, that's annoying too. Yeah, for sure. Or if you or if you you know happen to be you know lost in thought and you put your hand to your face or whatever, and it can't the face face ID won't recognize you. That's annoying too. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a yeah. technical question. What's the best way to install a Mac OS beta? external hard drive just set up a separate <laughs> partition what well you have apfs so you, if you have space you can you can create a partition now right okay um i, I used to mess around with with um i would make a partition and then um and i think with um what was before um big sir no before that one uh big catalina 
Catalina. Uh, with Catalina, I found that like I used to be able to to have a separate OS, and I used to be able to point like change the the user profile to point to the same home directory, um, so that I would have like one home directory. But I could, depending on which OS I ran, um, it wouldn't matter. But Catalina kind of changed permissions and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just made a big chocolate mess, right? So. So now what I do if I want to run a beta and I don't want to mess my Mac up is I'll create an APFS partition and I'll still install the, the beta OS over there. And that way I've got my, my, my Mac if I need to run stuff and then, uh, then I can run. And you just, you know, you hold the option to boot from a different OS. So um, it's, not create a, it's not create a new volume. It's actually creating a partition, or well, you are creating a new APFS. Uh, is is every every sort of volume slash partition is the same thing. Gotcha. You're not, okay. you're not reformatting the drive. You're just creating. You're creating like a virtual space, and you're saying, you know, I'm putting this over here, and it kind of grows to fill up your drive. Gotcha. Right. Over you don't time, have to right? like so, do the old fashioned like, oh, partition only take up this many gigs. No. Like you don't have to do any of or, that or anymore. Uninstall everything, back it all up, yeah. Erase the drive, partition it. So no, just no. create a new APF- volume and then install on that volume. APFS, yeah. Just go into disk. You can go into disk utility and just create a new APFS volume. Call it, you know. Uh, Monterey or Jack or Cheese, and then um, and then because I did it on my external SSD, and I feel like I, I probably isn't isn't necessary if I have the space. Yeah, there's a couple of things about that. Is that your your SSD drive? First of all, doesn't use the um, uh, there's a kind of tuning that Apple does on the internal draw on the internal SSDs. Um, so it doesn't do that. Um, I forget what they call it. But um, so if you run on the, if you run on an internal drive on a Mac, you get you get benefits of some of the hardware optimization that they've done. Uh, running on an external through USB C or whatever is going to be a little slower too, right? So yeah, so like marginally, marginally, but but there is like there's an optimization. Of I forget what it's called, what they call it, but let me see if I can remember if I open Disk Utility. Because uh, I used to have a third-party tool that would um, do that sort of for me, depending on the, on the kind of drive it was. Yeah, like I'm looking at my, my, my Apple SSD here, my internal one. I have a container disk one, and inside of that is my Macintosh HD and then the Macintosh HD dash data, which is the, the thing they added in Catalina. Right. Uh, and then you just had, create yeah. a third volume. Called Monterey. That's yeah, what under, I did. under the container disk. Yeah, you just go in there and you and you create a new. Like I've got a two ter, ter, two terabyte drive. You've actually just inspired me because I I didn't realize I still have you know I have almost a terabyte of space to play around with the the new OS. So, yeah. yeah, you give me give me salt. The only caveat I have about it is that sometimes Apple cha- has to change um, something in the in the firmware. Right. right. That's what I've heard was either an issue with yeah. Big Sur or Catalina and that kind of messed people up and made people scared yeah. and get external hard drives. I think what I'll right. do is on my iMac, I'll just create a new volume and then on my MacBook Air, I'll use an external drive. I should have started this whole thing with my speech about back it up before you do anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I like, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this going, OK, I have I do have a I do have a drive large enough to back up my drive now. But yeah, yeah, definitely always back up before you install any new update right yep. so yeah so that would be the only thing because i do i do see on the internet people break their their ipad and they break their phone and they break their mac you know uh, when they're when they're trying these things out but uh usually it's because they haven't you know there, there was something wrong with the drive before they started right yeah which brings us to clean my mac from the fine folks over at setup which uh i subscribe to they setup still around <laughs> 
Yeah, oh yeah, they're now on iOS, right? Um, and there's tons of apps. Like, like I have an FT, I use FT, I, there's a bunch of apps that I use from them all the time now. Um, but, uh, yeah, but things like Ulysses, a few, few big names have come over to, to um, set up. But, yeah, I think it's like, I pay once a year now, I think, right? And, um, but I have, and so I, I can run clean my Mac on, on I, you can have two, two Macs running uh, with one with one subscription. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I can unsubscribe one Mac and resubscribe the other one. And um, definitely, definitely helps with, with optimizing things. But um, yeah, it's handy to have, you know, all that sort of shareware-y kind of those smaller apps, you know, um, to do different things. It's all good. Saul Goodman, which I think is where Saul Goodman got his name. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> Final season should be coming up fairly soon. Yeah. Really? Hmm. So yeah, forget that's the one where he meets Walter White, right? It's got to be close to that, right? Well, he met Walter White in Breaking Bad, so it's yeah. DVD no, but I mean, but, but the the Breaking or what's the search this show called? Better Call Saul. This is this is all Better predates, right? It's a prequel, right? Yeah, because right. he, has he met Tiny yet? Though you know the big giant guy yes. that yeah. Tiny's there already. You mean? No, huh? uh, no which, the, the big the big uh, bodyguard guy that he had. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. Babineau. Yep. Yeah. LeVon, go LeVon Babineau. <laughs> Great show. And Mike uh, Evertrout is a major character. Have you guys watched the Ma- Mayor, uh, Mayor of Easton? No, I'm hearing it's good. Though. Oh, man, it's amazing. Like you sh- it, 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 Let's put it this way. I have not seen a show that I would wait until Sunday at 10 p.m. And it, the first thing I do is watch that show in wow. like years. And it's only six wow. episodes long. Wow. It's really good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the yeah. uh, Saturday Night Live uh, spoof mm. of it. It was on the uh, the, the Elon Musk episode. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, the murder thing was something that we were thinking about during the show. And, and even in lieu of that, it was still pretty uh, pretty entertaining to watch. So I was, I was impressed by, by, by the way the, the way they pronounce the word home. Yeah, the way they say ohms there is or, oh, right? Like, it's not home, it's home, right? And they did a whole episode. I saw a thing on YouTube. I can't find it anymore, but where the whole cast talked about, like, Siobhan, the daughter, the girl who plays a daughter, she's actually Australian. And then, of course, Kate Winslet is English, right? Um, and uh, Guy Pierce is Australian as well, right? So, but the, they all have this really interesting. I'm not sure it's Pennsylvania, but um, really strange accent. And the guy who the, sh- the showrunner who created it grew up in that that part of the U.S., right? So, it's a very very distinctive way of speaking. Um, it's twelve fifteen for yeah, me. Yeah, we should put. We should is call it, it all a day, right? If I, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Call on the night. Sure. <laughs> Jump off. I'm, I'm sure Mark's about to pass out too. So yeah. Yeah, and I'm three hours earlier. I was just thinking the same out. thing. I'm like, I, it's not, almost nine fifteen, and I'm I'm done. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's normally like that for us anyway. But yeah, this week has been just crazy off the hook, right? So, like on Tuesday, I was or yeah Monday, Monday and Tuesday, I was just done. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I I got a good long nap yesterday. Trust me. <laughs> it's hard enough and then you got six kids home from school so oh, or five wow. kids sorry oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that's who you call homeschooling alright folks well thanks for thanks for joining us on this show and we'll talk to you guys later thank you thank you, thank right. you later. See ya. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. bye bye